Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah! 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 This is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Yeah. I'm Greg Tito. Yeah, you are. I got my hype man, Shelly Mazzanoble. (laughs) Ready to go. I like that intro. I like that intro. To Dragon Talk. I wanted to have some gravitas. Sort of threatening, a little menacing. Yeah. But yet welcoming. (laughs) <laughs> at the same time. Somehow you've managed. We're in a different room today. We are. This is like old school Dragon Talk. It feels different. Where we used to be in random conference rooms all over the Wizards of the and Coast just offices. Hope that people didn't slam their office doors. Or sing songs or, or have loud meetings. Or flush the toilet. <laughs> or... Remember that time we recorded in the bathroom? Yeah, super <laughs> awkward. It was weird. Nothing's going on in here. Everything's fine. Don't worry. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, shouldn't have had Mexican for lunch, should you, Bob? (laughs) (laughs) Can't go too long without a poop joke, can we? (laughs) Oh, man. Well, it is Halloween today. Happy All Hallows Eve for Mm -hmm. all of you out there uh, in the North American zone. Uh, I don't think Halloween really is... Out there in any other part of the country uh, or the world, I should say. But if not, it should be. Make it be. Make it be. So dress up in your favorite D&D costume and ask people for money randomly at their doors. I mean, what could go wrong? Just send your kids to strangers' houses in a costume. With a scary mask. Ask for candy. Or money. Be like, Greg Tito told me to do this. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, did you ever have um, neighbors when you were little that gave out pennies? Yes, I did. Lame. And it was very lame. And apples. And apples. Lame. I know, right? The dentist was like, here, have a toothbrush. You're like, come on, buddy. Lame. Were you ever ashamed of the candy that your parents bought to give away? Because that's kind of a statusy thing, too. It wasn't really uh, in my, I don't remember, but I don't think I, my mom was a bit of a candy hoarder. So (laughs) she she always brought the the right ones. Did not candy, see. what? <laughs> she candy, was that what, too. What? <laughs> <laughs> you forgot the last syllable. I did. Um, yeah, it was. Did your parents embarrass you? Is that what you're? I feel leading like into? she might have tried to like buy some cheaper stuff, mm. and it was sinful. I mean, like I could not have people I know come to my house and receive like bit of honey, bit of honey. Remember that? Yeah, oh, gosh, or, or Smarties. I was always like, what do you want the Smarties? Yeah, for? like that stuff. Cheap stuff. Like, yeah. get, where's the Reese's peanut butter cups? I know. All right. Candy necklace? No. Give me the Three Musketeers. Oh, no. Don't give me those. You don't like Three Musketeers? No. Why not? Because they're disgusting. You don't like creamy nougat? Nougat. <laughs> not a nougaty fan. <laughs> I feel like we've had this conversation on previous Halloween on Dragon Talk. Yeah, this is a divisive topic it for is. Bart and I, too. Like, we do not, we only agree on one candy bar in our top five. Oh. Can you guess which candy bar that would be? It is 100 grand. No, but that's in mine. Oh. It's Snickers. in Jen. No. Uh, nope. I don't know if that, that might be in Bart's. I'm not sure. Not a Snickers. What's the one you agree on? You'll never guess because it's not a really popular one, but it's delicious. Chunky. Chunky? That's right. Do they even make Chunky anymore? Yeah, they do. With the peanut, it's like basically peanuts and raisins, and raisins. in a in cho- bar. In a chunk of chocolate. I like none of that. Do you, oh, you probably like the Cadbury version that's all super fancy and No, good. I don't like that you one don't either. Like, do you not like nuts and fruit in your chocolate? I don't like nuts and fruit in my chocolate. So, I don't like nuts in my like my sweets in general. Oh, you don't like the salty and the sugar? But it's not salty. It usually just ends up being like this weird pasty nutty flavor mixed up with the sweet chocolate. I don't, I don't like it. Do you like chocolate-covered pretzels? 
Yes. Okay, so you it's not it's just the peanuts that are throwing you off. It's so the, you're not a Snickers fan. I'm not a Snickers fan. I'm a Milky Way fan. You like the caramel. I like the caramel. Do you like hundred grands? I do like hundred grand. Do you like Do you know who else likes hundred grand? Jen Herb from Triple Clicks no always way. has hundred grands at all of our events and I'm always like, Hundred grand? She's like, Yeah, they're my favorite. They're awesome. And she like makes sure to have them Oh, I can't hear myself. Oh, there you back. There I'm back. Whew. Oh my god, that was so scary. I moment. thought I died for a second. I was like, I thought you did too. Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like I was in the nine hells very briefly. Echo, 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 echo. <laughs> um, they are delicious. They are good. My favorite is a take five, though. Yeah. Those are newish. I remember new-ish. when they came out in the last like what, twenty years? It's kind of like if somebody said just make your own favorite candy bar, Shelly, it would it would be that. Put all five of these things together. Yes. And they're delish. Yeah. What's your favorite? I like a peony. I like a Butterfinger. Oh, in so, my top five as yeah. well. Um, so it's not that peanut flavor. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I just, for some reason, the, the nut texture doesn't work for me. So and peanut butter cups are Peanut also butter is okay, just not the peanuts. Right. What about Big Cat? That's like, I don't I know like, a Big Cat. It's like a Kit Kat bar, but big and like, oh. in like an actual. Um, the only thing that could make a Kit Kat bar better is baking it bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Amen to I that. like a Big Cat. Who out there, what's your favorite candy? Uh, let us know on the Twitters, and we will give you lots of shout-outs if there are any of the ones we just mentioned. Do you steal your children's candy? Absolutely. Me too. Yeah. I feel like that's him going to work once a year. <laughs> work for it. Yes. Get it for He's mommy. He's working for mommy. And I, oh, hell hath no fury like a mommy who sees her son not reach for the orange wrapper. The Reese's. Yeah. Go for the Reese's. And then he'll be like, oh, nerds, yum. No. Nerds are not yum. No. Yeah, I don't like the fruity can- candy. Anything that's got like Starburst, fruit in it. Skittles, none nothing. of that. None of that. I no. want chocolate. I want peanut butter. I want a little bit of crunch with something. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're on the same page. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. So, uh, I don't know. Anybody maybe. going as uh, uh, Zariel to? <gasps> that would be amazing. Their Halloween costumes. We got to get uh, some some of those uh, pre-made uh, off-brand. People to make D and D costumes going like forward. back in the day, like back in the day, like the highly flammable costumes, exactly, right? Yes, and the little death masks that you couldn't breathe out of, exactly. But if you didn't have it on, then you basically weren't in costume. <laughs> we were basically wearing a garbage bag. You would wear a garbage bag with a picture of the thing that you were. <laughs> yeah, and a, and a mask. <laughs> yep. That that was the eighties for you. Oh my god, those were so good. They were great. Oh. Um, so yeah, we gotta get some more of those for for D and D happening. I think let's do it. Okay. All right, we'll we'll talk to Hillary, get some licensing going. I think. Oh, wouldn't it be cool to be like an owl bear? Oh my gosh! Or a mind flayer? That's such a great idea. A beholder. I know. Nobody's a beholder, right? Oh my god! For at Quinn's school, for how if they want to dress up, they have to be a character from a book. <gasps> I could have put him in any D and D monster. I like, could have made him. A, they are in a book. A Modron. Uh, could have been anything. Like when Maz came here and oh, did yes. a Motron. Oh, man. Anyway. Well, my uh, first session of Baldur's Gate Descent to Avernus, my campaign starts on Friday. Oh, Very nice. excited. Is this uh, your at-home This campaign? is my at-home, yeah, and I'm just playing in it. I've got uh, uh, my character all rolled up, ready to go. So you're not, are you done with Waterdeep? No, still doing that. Still doing that one, too? Still doing, dungeon mastering that one. So this is one you're playing in. It's one I'm playing You in. told us about your character. Yes. We the, like that character. The, the dual wand-wielding bard rock star uh, who's going to be a cross between David Bowie and uh, get him to the Greek. Uh, what's that guy's Russell, Russell Brand. Russell Brand. Yeah. So um, oh, 
was I going to say about your? Oh yeah, you don't want to DM this because we've we've been talking about. I do want to DM. I think it might be, but I also like uh, I, I like to play. Too, yeah, you know, so it's different. Uh, I haven't I haven't played in a in a l- ongoing campaign in a, in a while, so I'm try I'm excited to get into it. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, I know, right? All I right, can't Dungeon Master all the time. Some I mean, people do. Some people do. Some people do. But you know, this way I can just uh, pop in and be my weird. British rock star self, and uh, are you going to have an accent? I'm going to try. Do it's going to be real do you bad. Wanna workshop that. Now? Heck to the no. <laughs> <Are you laughs> Nine sure? hells to the no. Uh, not right here. Okay. On the on the on the live. Here for you if you. Oh it. gosh, now I really feel I'm on the spot. I, no, I don't know. Fine. You know what's going to happen? I'll say like one thing in an accent, and then the rest of the time I'll just, you know, talk normally. Maybe that's his thing. Like he fancies himself like this super, uh, this British superstar, but he's actually from Long Island. <laughs> he's actually got a, uh, yeah. Because actually, that's <laughs> the backstory that. that I wrote. Yep. Is he is a uh, you know only child of uh, artisans from uh, Tribor, uh, so, so from like a small town. But he tells people that he's not. He tells people he's from. Uh, yeah, he was the uh, born in the passion of the flames between a polymorph Aww. red dragon and an elven princess. I, I believe you. Yeah. Oh. What's his name? Terran Zay. Oh, that's a good rock star name. I thought so. Yeah, which is also made up. That's not his real name. Oh. Yeah. Is there anything about this character that is true? Well, we'll find out in the playing of it. We'll see. Do you already know things that you will reveal? No. Or are you just going to find out some things as you play? I'm going to find out a lot of it as I play. So, yeah, I didn't write too extensive of a backstory. It's just like, yeah, I don't know. He came from this upbringing. He's been on his way to... The different cities of the Sword Coast trying to find his way. Usually he can convince people to give him room and board in exchange for performing in their tavern for a little while. And uh, then all of a sudden he gets swept up into the events of Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. So. Yes? Did your dungeon master ask you to do any like pre-homework before? I'm always interested in what DMs like uh, ask the players to do for prep work. The only thing uh, this dungeon master requested was uh, just you know write up a short backstory, and okay. people did different you know things. Some people were just like you know a few sentences. Some people uh, did like half a page. Some people just were like, "Here's my flaws and bonds and things from the." Were those from the shared with sheet. the rest of the players? They were. Oh, yeah, good. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, we'll see how it all starts off on Friday. I can't wait. It's, it's, I don't so. know November first. All souls. All souls. All souls on November 1st to start the uh, the Baldur's Gate uh, campaign. I think it's going to be fun. Okay. So that came out. Uh, you should all be playing it now. Yes. Uh, for Adventurers League people, there is uh, an amazing D&D official play campaign called Adventurers League. Um, those for Season 9, uh, the new adventures just were released on Dungeon Master's Guild. Season 9. Season 9. Season 9. We've had nine seasons. Oh my gosh, that's so perfect. Right? Yeah. Um, so if you are looking for bite-sized adventures to get into uh, the the story behind Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, that's a great place to look. Look at Dungeon Master's Guild. It is the best. Um, they have are t- is tons of content up there that's made uh, by the Adventurers League creators as well as uh, other creators out there publishing stuff using Wizards IP like the Forgotten Realms and won that. So uh, there is a ton of content that people put up around this adventure that is super creative and can enhance your game. Uh, so I, I suggest delving in there. DungeonMastersGuild.com. Do it. Do it now. Now play some Adventures League stuff, and it's a great way to meet new people uh, in your D&D town. Love it. 
Guess what? It's what? coming out. No, I don't know. There is a little game called Dungeons and Dragons versus Rick and Morty tabletop role playing game adventure set. Uh, uh, adventure. <laughs> adventure game set. There's a lot of modifiers to that title, sure but is. that is coming out on November 19th. You've been playing that with a lot of people all over the country. I was on a world tour. I mean, to two U.S. Spots tour in, in the U.S. only. <laughs> to Mega City One and Mega City Two. Mega City One, Mega City Two. I wasn't playing, but I did watch and that listen. Counts. And you know what? It is almost as fun to just listen to the DMs and the players um, play that game because it is that funny and it is that good. Nice. And there was lots of smiles the whole entire time. Aw, were there like belly laughs? Yes. Were there laughing tears? Um, probably. A were few. there? Was there any uh, throwing up? Okay, good. Not I, from the green drinks that you were serving? No, people loved them. Uh, they looked really tasty. When do you ever have Midori in a they, drink? They were not, um, like, I felt like a lot of people were like, okay, I guess I'll just have, I'll try it. And they went back for more. Nice. So it wasn't just a one-time thing, a Keep novelty it thing. It was really, it was quite good. Nice. What can you say about the game? I can say that it is um, the... Exactly what your D and D game would be like if Rick Sanchez were your dungeon master. This is his um, his D and D. So the rule book that you would normally expect in a box set is double in size because Rick has basically pooed all over our rules and rewritten them for him his own version in his own mind. In his own mind. Nice. And there are so many um, wonderful, funny little things in there and it's actually like some of his advice is actually kind of good oh really <laughs> it's just weird nice. um but I bet that you, was kate welch's advice uh seeping probably in there. Yeah. if um if you are a fan of the show you will appreciate so much insider humor but you also we, we had people playing who didn't know the show either at all one of them or very well and it, it didn't matter they were still they they just thought it was funny it was great they they knew what was a joke, obviously, and it didn't matter if they didn't understand the reference. It was still funny, mm-hmm. which was kind of the goal with with creating that game. We didn't obviously don't want to leave people out of it. Yeah, I, and what I've been saying it's it's not you don't necessarily have to be a fan of no. either. Uh, you can jump in with almost no pre knowledge at all and and really dig it. You know, it's weird because I keep thinking like with new people, I almost like we we it's not a starter set. Yeah, but. I almost would introduce some of my more mainstream friends to D&D through this game. Yeah. Because it's kind of it's so off the walls that the focus of the rules is really not. Because there. one of one of the things that I consistently hear from new players or people who are like, "Oh, I don't want to try that. I don't know. I have to read all the books and I have yeah. to know it all." And you're like, "You don't." And I always have to kind of say that and I don't think they ever believe me when I say that. But here's this uh, a game where it you really don't need to know any of this foreknowledge. Everything will be given to you by the dungeon master. And it's all like even the stuff that you would potentially know, it just kind of gets thrown out the window because there's so much just, you know, new stuff that Rick tries to introduce oh, to you. Cool. So you can just, you're just going to be playing a whole different D&D anyway. What's an example? Do you have an example of that that you can share? No. Dang it. I always try to get you to. <laughs> no. And I know what's coming next. We're not going to be talking about Dungeon Mayhem played with multiple people. How dare you? Like four. That's fine, right? That fine? Okay, good. That was close. That's what it's two to four players. I saw Shelly start to get angry. (laughs) (laughs) He started hooking out over there a little bit. (laughs) 
<laughs> She's growling. It's very scary. <laughs> uh, so the Rick and Morty, uh, or Dungeons Dragons versus Rick and Morty, comes out on November 19th. Yes. At the same time as Eberron, Rising yes. from the Last War. We've been talking about that a bunch. Uh, I believe there will also be a Lori Cheneau segment about that in this episode. Also in this episode, oh, fun. we are going to be speaking to an author by the name of Pierce Brown. Yes. He is a New York Best Times New- selling. New York Times. New York Times best-selling <laughs> author. Uh, he's had uh, a lot of books being sold in many different countries and many different languages. And, and many people reading them. It's a mashup between uh, classical Rome and science fiction. And so that's that's like firmly in the fantasy camp, people. Yep. And uh, I can't wait to talk to him. He's been a D&D fan for a long time, and uh, we can't wait to pick his brain. He's got a real cute dog, too. Real cute dog. Real cute. I will, That's one I will, of the prerequisites. I will not have any of those questions. You can field all of the dog questions, okay? Oh, I will. Yeah. I got a whole list of them. Sweet. Yep. All right. I am very excited for everything that's coming for the end of this year for Dungeons & Dragons, and uh, I think you should be too, because it's been five years since Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition came Yay! out. Crazy, right? Five years. Yep. Happy anniversary. Um, we're using the hashtag five years of five E to collect all types of stories about what brought you into this edition specifically, but then just in the a hobby in general, uh, what what makes it exciting for you? Um, it's been five years and 45 years since Dungeons and Dragons was first published in 1974. So that's a that's a lot of anniversary synergy. There is. Right there. Five lot. and forty-five. Yeah. Hey, did you know that there what the what what's the the, the gift you get on 50th anniversary. On 50th? No, a fifth. On a fifth anniversary? Yeah. Um, I think you get dice. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's dice, right? I don't, you, we should look it up. Okay. Look it up, Ryan. Let us know what it is. Okay. Do yeah. You, you don't know what it is? I don't you know were, what it is. Hmm. Yeah. Not I wonder what, for, is 45 have one too? I think um, 45 is a boxed set. It's a uh, Magic the Gathering a uh, swamp <laughs> card. Yeah, that's what you get. On I think you get a swamp anniversary. Yes, <laughs> that's. I think that's what you it get is. a a theme deck. What is it, Brian? Wood. It's not wood. <laughs> it's wood. <laughs> I thought the wood was the first one. Fine. Then you can get like a nice. Um, no, that's paper. Or you can get like Isn't a wood made from a, paper. A wor- paper made from specific, <laughs> specifically paper. You could get a wormwood um, dice holder or like a dice tray or something. Yeah. Well, I'm on my phone. I'm looking at a different list, and it's like I, you know what I've realized is that these traditional gift things, there's different lists, yeah. and, and it, it's different for every culture and things like that. But this what, one's what a do you sapphire. Have? Oh, there. I think there are definitely um, like gemstone gemstones that go uh, with every one of them. Oh, like, that makes sense. Like diamond anniversary is, I think fifty. I thought diamond anniversary was pl- gold. No. Silver. So we don't know. We don't know. But we know sapphire. But sapphire is, is pretty cool. I would for love a fifth year anniversary. I'd love to get a sapphire. I feel like I gave a sapphire to my wife on our fifth for the year. fifth anniversary. Yeah, I did. You did? I think I did. So she still has it. I feel like everybody on the D and D team out. should be getting something with sapphire. I will get you something with sapphire. <laughs> I will get you something with sapphire. Yeah, to celebrate the fifth edition. Maybe some dice. Well, that is the traditional. So there's obviously traditional, modern, and like if you want to give a cool gift, yeah, definitely dice. All right. Well, we'll do it. We'll okay. make we'll make it happen. Okay. Awesome. Working on that. Uh, we are going to throw it to some fun lore you should know. 
right about now, and then we will be back with uh, speaking to Pierce Brown. Okay. Sound like a plan? Yes. All right. Maybe we can make the dice out of Sapphire. Welcome to another Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by Adam Lee. Hello, sir. Hello, Greg. How are you this doing? Is, I'm doing all right. Excellent. I'm doing, I'm doing good. I think I might be going to sleep soon and uh, <laughs> might have some dreams. <laughs> oh, well, funny you should say. Yes, um, because today we are going to talk uh, on this segment where we delve into little bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore for... You know, maybe you can use it in your game or just because it's fun to know all this fun stuff. Yeah. Um, today we're going to be talking about dreaming in Eberron. Yes. This is something I had no idea about until Mr. Adam Lee just sat across from me and told me just a little bit. And I'm like, whoa, what? Really? Yeah. So it's, when you, it's cool. When you dream on Eberron, what happens? Uh, yeah, your, 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 your mind floats off into the, into the darkness. And uh, there's a plane that's uh, sort of in Eberron's sort of sphere of planes, and it's called Dalcor. And it's a plane made of dream stuff. So mm-hmm. when your mind goes drifting off to lovely sleepy land, um, it goes up to Dalcor and it touches on this plane, and dream stuff kind of comes into your mind from this plane. Now, on Dalcor, there are these uh, beings known as the Cori, and they're immortal beings. And uh, we don't know really, like... If they were native to this plane, I kind of like to think that maybe they're they might not even be native to this plane. But mm. anyway, that being said, who knows? Um, the Cory live there now, and they've been there for a long, long, long time. And uh, a long time ago, uh, the Cory and Dalcor, the plane, they were in contact with Eberron. Like they could just directly just go there and fight. And there was a big battle with between the giants and the Cory, and. Um, the giants uh, fought them back, and but with their empire was destroyed in the process. But when they fought them back, it blew Dalcor out of alignment with Eberron. So now the Cori weren't able to contact it directly, and the only way we could do it was indirectly through dreams. So so now, when you're sleeping on Eberron, you you contact this this plane Dalcor, and the Cori now can sneak through into your dreams and affect your mind. Um, and they do that. Uh, you know, through various, they put images in you. They they give you desires, wants, and needs, and all that. And the Cori are um, kind of broken into three uh, groups. Um, there's the the Cal- there's the Calarac, there's the Hashalak, and there's the Tuscora. Mm-hmm. And the Calarac are the big tough bruisers. They run the show. Um, the Hashalak are sort of the the lore keepers and the um, they're into pleasure. They're into the desire. Like, like hedonists. They're hedonists, yeah. So, and then there's the Tuscora, which are just sort of like your basic fear mongers. They, they, so through the dreams, these different, and there's a lot of different quarry. These are just kind of like the main three. But these quarry um, affect you in their own particular way. So you might be having a dream about like some wonderful place and oh, wouldn't it be nice to do that? And that's probably a hashalak sort of affecting your, your dreams. So, Dalcor is, uh, it's a plane, so now it has this strange way, uh, this strange cycle that it goes through. 
And every so often it flips and it becomes a plane of light and goodness. Mm. And, uh, and then, you know, your dreams are affected by this beautiful visions of celestial wonders. Um, but then also it, it can flip and it can go dark. And then your dreams are, could be filled with nightmares and the, the quarry become these sort of horrible entities. And right now, uh, Dalcor is in, is in the dark stage of this flip. And the quarry that are that are loving it, they they they're um, the the evil thing is called Il Lashtavar. So when Il Lashtavar is happening, the quarry the evil quarry are like rejoicing. They want this to stay forever, and that is their dilemma because they know that the cycle, this great cycle, is going to come and it's going to flip and then it's going to change everything. So, what has happened now since they've been in this dark period for enough time? There's the evil quarry that are doing their thing. But there's also good quarry within that, and they're sort of the rebels. And these rebel quarry have gone down to Earth, and they've made, or gone down to Eberron, and they made this deal with this group of monks. They live in this uh, realm called Adar, and they um, they've offered up their their bodies to be vessels for these good quarry, and they're called the Kalashtar. And so Kalashtar are good quarry that are on the on Eberron, and they are starting to um, you know kind of fight against the the bad quarry. So when you talk about the quarry in Dalcor and you talk, the next thing you have to do is you have to talk about the Clashtar. If you talk about the Clashtar, then you also, and Adar, which is where they come from, you also have to talk about Sarlona and Raidra. So Sarlona is a big nation um, and it is the cradle of humanity. So a long time ago, that's where all the humans came from. And they were the ones that then went out and sort of founded Corvair and all the different, you know, places on Corvair. Um, but Sarlona was broken into nation states and they were always at war. They were fighting each other. They just couldn't get along. And the quarry, um, the evil ones, they saw, oh, this is an opportunity to sneak in and we can now begin to populate this area. So what they did was they started to breed a special kind of human um, like vessel because the quarry pretty much if a quarry comes to you through dreams you have to voluntarily say come into my body and be a part of me and you kind of they kind of take you over and they use you as a puppet okay so and if you uh, so but when the quarry created these uh, beings called the um, the inspired now the inspired they don't have any choice it's a lineage so the inspired like a, a dragon mark or something like that, or is it no? Different? It's different. Yeah, they are they are just specially bred to be vessels for the quarry, and they don't have any choice in it. So if you're an inspired and you've been kind of groomed through the bloodline, um, when you come of age, a quarry spirit will just inhabit your body, and that's it. You have no choice in it, so you automatically become that. But what happened is these inspired, um, they were the ones that then came onto Sarlona that was at war. And because they're divine sort of beings, they were seen as saviors. And it was like, oh my gosh, these, these incredible super beings are now telling us about sort of how to live our lives and how to do things. And all the nations got united um, behind, and they're called the Raedrons, or I don't know how to pronounce it too. I think there's probably a correct pronunciation somewhere, <laughs> but it's like Raedra. So the Raedrons are these inspired um, led nation that then united Sarlona. So Raedra runs Sarlona, and then the only ones that resisted were the Kalashtar, 
and they're on Sarlona, but they're in this place called Adar, which is in the mountains, and it's hard to get to, and they're really tough. And the Kalashtar and the Adar monks are sort of in the, these mountains. Uh, they're resisting the Cori influence, and they kind of know what's going on. Now, the rest of the world, the rest of Eberron, they think that Sarlona's awesome for the most part. They don't know about this stuff. Oh. This is all kind of this is all hidden secret, secret knowledge. Like, is Sarlona one of the nations that was at war on Corvair? No. Sarlona's kind of its own sort of island okay. off, off, you know, away from Corvair. Okay. Um, and it was, the, you know, the cradle of humanity. So all human beings went out to populate Eberron and they populated Corvair and then they created all their places like Siri and, you know, Carnathia and all that stuff. So, okay. um, but anyway, so the rest of them, they don't know what's going on. They, uh, Corvair, because Corvair, like a lot of um, the nations in Corvair, were supported by Sarlona. The, the inspired know they're playing this game. The Cori aren't, they, they're crafty suckers. So they put a bunch of money into, um, you know, these armies of Corvair as they're fighting the last war. But underneath it all, so the Sarlona, in Sarlona and in Raedra and these inspired, on the surface, they're all good guys. You know, they pretend to be nice and they're giving money and they're doing all this good stuff. On the dark side, they, there's this organization called the Dreaming Dark. And these are all um, humans and, you know, non-humans, but they're, they're vessels for Corey. They're willing vessels. So they've said, yes, we want to be a part of this great, you know, this great divine legacy. So they've allowed these Corey to come into them. And now they operate as agents of this thing called the Dreaming Dark. So the Dreaming Dark is all about one of the big things that they're trying to do is the evil Cori are like, we don't want to get wiped out when Dalcor flips and turns into light again. They want to keep it evil forevers. Oh. So they're just like, nope, we don't, we don't want it to go light. How do we do that? And one of the ways they think they can do that is that if they make all of Eberron uh they're kind of going out of the Sarlona playbook. And the Sarlona playbook is like destabilize everything, make everything fight, then become, you know, then the inspired come in, save the day, and everybody rallies around that. And then you unite the whole thing under, you know, these inspired sort of Cory overlords. They're going to try to do that. And of course, the last war has just happened. Yeah. So all of Corvair is in a mess. There's still a lot of, you know, crazy crap going on. People don't like each other. There's a lot of infighting. The dragon marked houses are kind of at each other. So they're like, let's, let's go over there. Let's try to keep everything destabilized. And then let's, um, you know, kind of work our magic. And then, and then you know, we'll be able to, to have it. We'll be able to, you know, make more and more quarry um, inspired, you know, dreaming dark vessels and kind of rule rule the whole show. Oh, wow. Okay. There's so much in it is. the last three minutes that I want to unpack with you there. Uh, first is, what do, what do Cory look like? So Cory, um, the three that, the Hashalak, the Calarak, and the Tuscora, they are kind of these weird, dreamy, insectile-looking beings. Okay. Um, the the Hashalaks are kind of like wispy, um, they're dreamlike, so um, they don't really. Uh, they're kind of they're totally not human at all. Um, they've got eyes everywhere. 
um, or they're just kind of wispy threads and strands with like sort of vague features. Okay, so they almost look like a phantom or a ghost or, or something like that, but like a fever dream kind of version yeah. of those things. Yeah, they're nightmarish. They're um, nightmarish. Even the good ones, even the ones that are... Well, we haven't in, in, in sort of in the history, we haven't depicted what the good ones are like. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, would think in my head that they're, you know, not nightmarish looking, you know, they, they're probably, but they're still probably bizarre and yeah. different. Um, they're not sort of like angelic looking beings or anything like that. So, so when uh, Delcor flips, is that a, on a fixed time schedule like, does it happen, like, every 100 years, every 10 years? Like, no, how does that They don't occur? know because, um, yeah, it's, it's, it must be random because the, the quarry, if it had a pattern to it, the quarry would know that, and then they would have sort of a timetable of, like, okay, well, we know we've got till this time to figure stuff out. Um, so, uh, you know, going back through the lore, the, the quarry right now, um, the ones who are all about Ilashtavar and they, they love the darkness, they are nervous. They, they don't know how much time they have left. So, you know, some of them, you know, I imagine in my head, some of them are probably like, eh, don't worry about it. We're going to be fine. It's sort of like Mount Rainier. It's like, well, it's going to blow sometime. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not going to worry about it, but there might be some people who are like really worried about it. They're like, oh my gosh. You it know? could happen tomorrow. Yeah, it could happen it could next year. Yep. Yeah, right. Okay. So, so because now that they've been living in this dark period for a while, do we know when that dark period began did no it, did it happen before the start of the last war oh yeah yeah it, it, it happened oh probably you know thousands if not tens of thousands of years ago so the dark period, the has, dark been, period. has been happening for this long yeah it's been happening a long time wow because the um you know sarlona when Sar, it, it happened even before sarlona had united so and that was thousands of years ago so wow so it's been a long so, time. So that clock is ticking for yeah it to be flipping. They've very been soon. partying pretty hard, and they're now starting to think, "Ooh, this has been too good for too long." Yeah, uh, we know from the history, the the very distant history, that there has been this this flip. And so, how much time do we have left? And that's sort of their urgency now is to like, what do we do? How right. do we do it? And you know, one theory might be that they're actually wanting to jump planes that if they inhabit enough people in Eberron, they could actually sort of create new Dalcor. Like Eberron has now, the population has so many Cori in, in, you know, they've all become Cori vessels that now Cori can actually terraform Eberron. So, and, and this, one of the things they've started doing in Sarlona is they've created these resonant sort of monoliths because the Cori are psionic. Their whole, their whole, shtick is to get into your mind, to affect your mind, to kind of uh, work on you that way. So um, the Inspired, now that they run Sarlona, they've put these resonant monoliths all over and they, they, they hum and they vibrate and they create this frequency. So it enhances their sort of ability to psionically control people and to kind of snoop into your mind and get into your dreams. So if you start to see, like, you could see uh, maybe one of these appearing on Corvair, you know, that would be a real, like, what the heck is this thing? So One of these pillars that, that yeah. and all of a sudden, it's like a cell tower beacon. Like, it is. Everybody that's there will be able to be more controlled, and then they would soon be able to take over the entire planet. Oh, yeah, yeah, because, right? you know, we don't really know what these, these resonant monoliths do. 
and for that matter, we don't really know what cell towers do. <laughs> like, <laughs> how, how do they affect us? How does it us? work? Yeah. Magnets. Everybody's I like, yeah, 5G, bring it on. They'll build a bigger one, you know? And it's like, but, you know, the scientists are like, well, you know, we don't really know what human beings, you know, how, how cell towers. So it, it's, you know, you could see in, in, a, in, a, in a game in Eberron, you know, if you start to play this as, as a DM, you know, you could, you could set it up where, you know, the party members encounter one of these, you know, harm, you know harmonic monoliths and they're like, what is this thing? You what know? is it doing? And they, they have no idea about the quarry. They have no idea about the inspired. They have no idea about Sarlona. And, you know, Sarlona really is xenophobic. They don't want anybody coming to their shores because they don't want anybody peeking around and snooping around. And trying to undermine what they're doing. Yeah, because the first thing you do is you find out, you know, like, hey, what's going on with these people? And God forbid you run into a Kalashtar who tells you the whole thing. Like, mm. And, you know, Kalashtar are interesting because they... If you're born in Adar, if your character, say you roll up your Kalashtar character and you're in it from Adar, you are you know all most of this stuff. You are well aware of what's going on. You're well aware of Dalcor. You're well aware of this, you know, the spirit that inhabits you. Um, Kalashtar have a kind of a different relationship with the Cori spirit that's inside them than the say the Dreaming Darks, an agent of the Dreaming Dark, in that. Clashtar's spirits don't really contact them directly, telepathically. When a Clashtar falls asleep, they actually start to get dream images of the quarry's memory. So if you have a Clashtar that grows up in Adar, you understand that. You understand your telepathy. You have telepathic powers. You're taught about it. You're taught about the, the connection to your quarry spirit that's inhabiting your body. You're, you're aware of this, like you're a long, you're a part of a long lineage of these monks that go back to these original monks in, in, the, in the monastery who made this immense sort of symbiotic sacrifice to help the good quarry and to defeat evil quarry. So you're aware of all that. Now, if you roll up a Clashtar character and you were born in Corvair and you were an orphan, you might you, not know that. You won't know that, but you'll be weird and you'll have these telepathic tendencies. You might think you're going nuts. Um, so that's a fun thing to kind of explore um, for people who are going to play Quarry or for Clashtar. Yeah. Are, are they only monks? No, no. Clashtar uh, can be anything. Oh, okay. But their origins are from these monks that lived in this monastery. And I kind of like to think of them as like, um, if somebody like wants sort of like a real world, is like the Tibetan monks. You know, they're up in these remote mountains. They're super, um, you know, austere. They've they have this sort of relationship with these extra planar spirits. Right. And they, um, you know, another thing they could have is like a lot of like mind shielding uh, magic items that they've got, or they might know like certain kind of plants and or minerals to put in like a potion. And, and so you can blank your mind out or, or um, you know, mess with your memory or do stuff like that. So yeah. it could be a lot of fun things you could play with there. What about, the idea, because you mentioned, like you know, you're, 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 you like the idea that uh, these quarry were not native to Delcor, um, and then they, this happened before humans had even arrived. Yeah. What if humans came from Delcor? Yeah, I mean, uh, to, came from Eber, you know, to Eberron yeah. from Delcor. So yeah, I mean, that would be fun. That that's, I mean, this is all off canon stuff. Yeah. But it's like I love that. Right? I love that idea because that's one of the things I was playing with is like. You know, the Kalashtar, they, before they became the Kalashtar, they were these monks. And all of a sudden, it's like, there are these monks in monasteries and they're meditating or doing whatever. And they contact 
these good uh, these good quarry and i was like well who made contact with who yeah. you know did the quarry like did the good quarry search around and and say we need to con- or or were the monks like you're saying if if human beings came down and they were the they came from Delcor or something like that could they have had in their ancient records like when the when the light turns to darkness you've got to do these kinds of meditations these kinds of chants and that way you'll get into the state of mind where you can actually go and reach Dalcor yeah. and help our you know our brethren that are there because they're going to be you know in undergoing this state of Ilashtavar, which is the, the the dreaming dark you know and yeah. this sort of evil so gosh i mean it's a trip it, it, and it, <laughs> it, 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 it has so many real world kind of parallels to conspiracy theories of aliens totally. contacting egyptians totally. and all that types of stuff that i'm like oh i wonder if there's some unifying story here that your party in Eberron yeah. will will uncover um but then okay so another question is uh you said that you know most in most denizens of Eberron have no idea about any of this, but they might, when dreaming, encounter parts of it. So yeah. how how do they, uh, you know, rationalize what they're seeing in their dreams? Well, yeah, that's the thing is that it it just was just a dream, and somebody could you could have a, a person be like, I saw something, like I saw there there's this, I caught a glimpse of a thing, and depending on how you know, what kind of culture they're in, they could be laughed at, you know, or they could be thought to be um, visionary and like shamans, like they could be like, oh, well, you know, you've got, you're onto something. Um, You know, another kind of situation could be where um, if they say it too much, you could draw the attention of the dreaming dark. And depending Mm. on what you're saying, because the thing about the dreaming dark is that one of the inspired might come and get you because you're saying too much. Well, the, the inspired are kind of these; they're like the big leaders of um, Sarlona, and they rarely come out of. Sarlona. So it would just be their agents. So it would just be their agents, but their agents, like like any one of us, could have a Corey spirit in us, mm-hmm. and we're you know part of the dreaming dark. But we're just like, hey, I'm Adam Lee, and I'm just hanging here as a writer for Wizards. But when I go home, I'm like contacting the Corey Dalcor, and I'm like, oh yes, I will, you know, you know, because yeah. the the spirit. So when you're playing your digital yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah, totally, yeah. That's, oh exactly. oh man. So yeah, so so even so, if you do have this 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 minor contact, you might start talking about it, but then all of a sudden the dreaming dark might be like, hey, no, quiet on that stuff. Yeah, and it might come and find you, and or bring you to Sarlona and be like, hey, we can. Uh, uh, you know, tell you what's up. Yeah, you got talent. But then kid. all of a sudden, you're you're one of their agents now. Yeah, I mean, because one of the ways that they can, there's many ways, but one of the ways is to t- say to, to you, like, if you're having these dreams and you're being contacted by an evil Corey, and you're like, oh, then a dreaming dark agent could come to you and say, hey, look, um, we know what these dreams are about. Come with us, and we're going to tell you about it. And yeah. they slowly, slowly over time kind of get you into what the dreaming dark is all about like there's this plane and there's these you know there's these spirits and they need our help they need to come down here we need to have more people and so if you open yourself up and allow the spirit to inhabit you then then you'll be saving little puppies and kittens you know and and it's a bunch of they baloney, use, they use but, ma- manipulation that way yeah. so that they you know they appear to be benevolent spirits but they're actually sure. the these the agents of this dream yeah. dark oh god that's so creepy it is creepy creepy yeah. okay uh how does this interact with uh things like the dragon prophecy and the the dragon marks is it 
related or are they separate it, kind of ideas? They're separate ideas. Yeah, the, that whole that's like a, a whole another sort of chunk of the pie that's going on in another area. Like you know the whole what's going on with the war forged and you know the morning, uh, the mornland, like like all that stuff is like this other thing that's going on. Mm-hmm. And this other slice of the pie is sort of what is is they're loving this, the other stuff. The other conflict, the Corey and the Inspired and the Dreaming Dark, they're digging it. They're like, this is great. This is exactly what we want. The more division we can sow in the world, the more we can sort of destabilize it, then the more we can come in and sort of trumpet ourselves as champions and sort of have this plan and say that we're, you know, connected to these divine beings and sort of offer hope where there is no hope. Um, Wow. And then take over and then start erecting these monoliths and then next thing you know, everybody's mind controlled and sayonara, you know. Is it possible that these agents were what was behind the last war? Yeah, yeah, it's very possible. I mean, the, the, the morning is such a bizarre event and the great thing about it is nobody knows who the heck, what, where it came from, how, who caused it. The, the cataclysm that ended the last war. Yeah, right. Like yeah. The, big, the big thing that happened that just created the Mornlands. Yeah. Right. So, but I'm talking about the the actual start of the oh, last the war. Oh, the start of it. Yeah, it could be because you know the start of the war was really just a bickering family. It was a family feud, and who's to say that evil Corey didn't sort of get in there and start saying, you know, through dreams or you know to we you know get into somebody's mind and say like, oh, you know. Your your brother wants all the power for themselves, and they're going to steal the crown, and it's yours by rights. And what the heck, yeah. you know? So, and yeah. of course, what what more discord is there than a five nation war that spans a hundred years? Right? Yeah. So like that. Oh my god. They're yeah. like. Uh, so I guess there's the other thing too is like how how much evidence is there that things that occur in this in Eberron would affect the flipping of Delcor? Like, yeah. Will it? Do they know that? They don't. They don't. They are the, this is the thing is that the the Cory are immortal, but in this sense they're very desperate. And um you know like I, my feeling is that that, that the Cory in the past they have enjoyed jumping into mortals minds because it's almost like a great experience for an immortal being. It's like I can jump into somebody's body and live as a mortal being, feel what it feels like, feel what it feels like to to be in love, feel what it feels like to have loss, feel what it feels like to be mortal and to die. Um, I could imagine like a dreaming dark agent, um, if you were in a combat with them and you, you know, you killed them, they're like bleeding out before you and they're like fascinated with their own death. You know, the mortal shell, the the person who's the host would be, you know, horrified, but the quarry inside experiencing what it feels like would be fascinated, mm. you know. And then um, when they die, does the quarry just go back to yep, Delcor? Yeah, the quarry just goes whoop, back to Delcor. So Oosh. it is no harm, no foul for them. Um, and the other interesting thing about the quarry is that they can jump from host to host. So um, I remember when I was writing this parts of this, this book, um, I, the, the thing that kind of fascinated me was that if you're a ranger and your favorite enemy is like quarry, you oh. might be able to detect a quarry who's jumped into you and then jumps into somebody else. They can, there, there doesn't need to be like a process? Well, no, no. A quarry can just be like, peace out at any moment. And, and they need to have a willing host though. Yeah, they have a willing host, but they can peace out and then the host is like, huh? huh? And they, they're like, wow, I'm, I guess I'm here. I don't know how I got here. And you Interesting. Know. So 
But the quarry has a personality of its own. And if I'm a ranger and I'm talking with somebody who's inhab- who has a quarry inhabited in them, I might be able to not only know what the host is about, but I might be able to know what the quarry is about and detect their personality and feel if I'm like kind of a magical ranger, I might be able to feel their energy signature. So when that quarry bugs out of that body and then goes to another body, I might be able to find out and feel that quarry and be like, ah, that's the same one. Mm. So if I like want to kill a certain quarry or capture a certain quarry, then as a, as a, as a ranger or maybe as a magician or a wizard or something, I can, I can actually track a quarry across different hosts. Wow. So yeah, it gets freaky. Okay. Final question. And then I think we, I think we have to send people to, to get Eberron resin for the last war. Oh my goodness. On November 19th to get all this uh, info. Uh, this is more of an existential question that I'm not sure you can answer. But going back to my idea of what if humans came from Delcor? Yeah. What if you know human souls on Eberron are actually already inhabited by lesser quarry? Uh, maybe I don't know. I mean, it's weird. Like you know what the nature of the soul is and where souls go. Um, I you know it. it it starts to it's a fun thing to think about i you know my my gut is to think like no there's got everybody's got souls man you know like <laughs> it's not all quarry um but you know that would be a trip because yeah. there's an idea i mean that's like a you know uh, not a mormon idea it's a uh, scientology idea that there's like a an alien being within oh, us like that, the thetans or something yes yeah, exactly yeah. I'm like and it's very similar to what you're describing here with the quarry inhabiting in them and things like that so i'm like yeah what if that was the genesis of 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 humans or sentient beings on Eberron was these creatures embodying it could be and that know, physical vessels that could have been the the the, the light time like the yeah. when thing the quarry was good were were good uh beings they could have you know contacted sort of proto humans and through influencing their dreams and influencing their mind they could have put seeds of intellect and you know consciousness and all that and yeah. and then humans over time evolve into these you know, and humans and elves and dwarves and any, well, not elves because elves don't dream. So anything that dreams would have had this contact with these quarry. Interesting. And, and some may have taken on, you know, been, become like willing vessels and become these sort of like, you know, prophets or um, super beings that yeah. then kind of gave, you know, you think of like Quetzalcoatl and like these, like Ahura Mazdak, you know, these gods that came to earth and they were like, Givers of language and laws and agriculture and and community and how to how to do stuff. Um, so the quarry could have been that way in the distant past of of Eberron before you know life you know became sentient. Yeah, um, that's a total possibility. I love that. This also just bears true about what it's exciting about Eberron as it's being a different setting than Forgotten Realms and things yeah. like that because we're, you're able to have these kind of philosophical kind of – I don't want to – it's not really more modern, but it is kind of like something that you would see being considered and talked about in the enlightenment of our earth going forward, right? Yeah. Like this is, these are yeah. things that kind of embody not the Middle Ages where you know yeah. a lot of fantasy kind of is in that Middle Ages – theology and, and way of thinking and I think Eberron is really about like hey what, what if a fantasy world used, used tropes and ideas um, from a, a more modern uh, kind of way of thinking about it yeah. so I immediately want to go to these kind of ideas about what is existence what is the soul where, where are these things coming from and yeah. I don't think any other setting really kind of 
captures these essences as much as Eberron does. No, yeah. It's, it, I mean, when I first um, heard about Eberron way back in the day, I kind of bounced off of it, to be honest. It was yeah. like, I was like, oh, it's kind of sci-fi and I don't want that in my fantasy and stuff. But when I, when I was tasked to kind of work on this book and the more, you know, which was a year or so ago, it's like I, I really did the deep dive into it. And the more I dove into it, the more I was like, this is amazing. Like just for the reasons you're saying, it's like this this setting is so filled with richness, like story richness. And as, you know, as I was, you know, researching and writing and, and doing all that stuff, it's like I got to this point where I was like, I want to see the movie of this thing so mm. bad. There's so many, so many great stories and especially this kind of, this web of the Kalashtar, the Cory, Sarlona, um, the Dreaming Dark, and just how, like, creating a story around that, um, a big adventure about that would yeah. be so fun because it addresses so many, like, even just like when you mentioned the cell towers, that, you know, that right there is just sort of like this real-world analog of like, yeah, what are, what are those things? Like the great conspiracy mind of my own like starts to get ignited by that and just <laughs> yeah. be like, what is this thing doing to us? Does it affect our DNA? Could it be affecting our intelligence? Could it be affecting how, you know, mutating the human species? Like, you know, fun ideas like that just to kind of play and go off and riff on it and just see where it goes. So, and it's there in the, in the material for, um, for, you know, Eberron and in making a campaign there. And uh, I yeah. just think it would be a really fun place to do it. I'm excited for Dungeon Masters to delve oh into gosh. these ideas and yeah. bring them forth and come up with their own explanations for for what all this means for when your characters start to dream. And that's a, that's a fun thing about us is that you don't need to, you know, be heavy-handed about any nope. of this. The characters don't, you know, NPCs don't need to say the word quarry or dreaming nope. dark or any of those things. Uh-uh. But having this in your head as you're forming an idea and maybe even planting some seeds for later campaign things that can happen, say, you know, level eight, level twelve, yeah. level uh, down the yeah. road, you know, to maybe interact with 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 this storyline is so interesting. And I love that kind of deep seeding of yeah. things for for future stories to be to be told in this uh, yeah. in this setting. I mean one of the things about Eberron, it is is it is all about the slow burn. Yeah. And as a DM, if if you know when you absorb all this information and you've got this sort of all this background in your in your mind, and then you put your PCs who don't know anything into the world, and you just start to lead them along this path, and they don't know they they may have heard of Sarlona and this sort of like well what did I, yeah I heard that's like the cradle of humanity right that's maybe all they know about it yeah. and they know like oh yeah there, there's these you know, it was rumored that there's these you know really powerful uh, divine beings that you know sort of united these warring clans and and now they've they've been given money and aid to like the to help support the last war like what a bunch of cool people like that's all they know about it and they don't know anything now if you've got a clash tar in the party then that changes things and shifts them depending on how the player has sort of built their backstory if that clash tar came from adar then that there's a whole different vibe to it yeah but um but yeah i mean the just that slice of the eberron pie is so rich with coolness that <laughs> it yeah. just drives me nuts. Well, and I hope yeah. player characters are inspired to to play a Kalashtar, to play yeah. you know something like this that might know uh, an inkling of what this is, and then over time discover it. And I think that's a great way for a, a dungeon master who wants to explore these themes later on to yeah. to be able to use yeah. the um, you know having a player character 
you know, learn this stuff about their heritage over time, I think would be really cool. Yeah. Like, even just the, the story you said of like, oh, they maybe they were from Adar, but then they've got orphaned and they're somewhere else and they don't even know their own yeah. you know, lineage. And so being able to find that all out would be a really oh, fun man. and easy way to, to bring that forward while also, you know, dealing with the political crisis of what's happening yeah. in the five, you know, the five uh, war nation the last war. That's yeah. what it's called. Not the, yeah, well, <laughs> the, the five war nation. <laughs> I sure is called that somewhere, but yeah, no, that makes sense. Very fun. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Adam, for uh, going through all of this with us. How can people uh, get in touch with you to ask you all about what it's like to dream in Eberron and be inspired by these creatures? Yeah. Um, I'm at, at Adam of Adventure. And uh, that is my Twittery handle. And uh, yeah, yeah, reach out and uh, let me know stuff. Let me know <laughs> stories. Let me know questions and all that. And uh, yeah, sweet. I'm, I'm, I'm on standby. And uh, Eberron Rising from the Last War comes out November 19th. You'll learn about this topic in that book. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, and yeah. more. And, and more, yes. This is, a, this is a slice of the pie. There are many other delicious slices like Dragmark houses and Dragmarks and all that good stuff. Um, Warforged. I mean, that's another wonderful character to play. So yeah. there's a lot in this book. And to be honest, like uh, working on this project made me fall in love with Eberron, and, uh, which was surprising to me. Um, you know, as, as I said, you know, I kind of boinked off it early on in, yeah, in my D&D I did playing too. C- career. To, to be honest, I did too. So yeah. like, it's been really cool having you and Chris uh, talk about these topics because I think it's getting me excited and I think in extension getting listeners excited oh, about it. Oh, it's so fun. It's, yeah, it's a great setting. Thank you so much. Yep, anytime. Awesome. Yep. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. I feel like I know at least 40% more than I did before that segment. That was amazing. What? I mean, all the things Adam Lee is able to expound about, uh, he's a master. And I felt like I got some good meditation. And <laughs> because there was Adam. He's so soothing. He was very zen about it. Yeah. He's like, here's some things that we are going to talk about. Okay, Adam. Okay. Um. Um, he's the best uh, for being a player. Have you ever played with him in a, in a campaign? Yes. Yeah. I really enjoy it because he always brings that kind of zen energy to the game. Yes, he does. Does not play a barbarian very often. Do you know who else is say. really fun to play with? Shelly Mathenoble. Besides her? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ari. Ari, yeah. Ari I, d- Le- I have played a couple games with him, and I always thought, I'm like, oh, I think I'm annoying him. Like, I just feel like, but that's his character. That he likes to get. He, he sometimes plays characters that just, like, do think they're, their thing, and they don't really listen to the rest of the party sometimes. Oh, yeah. And I just thought, like, oh, I think Ari's annoyed by me because I'm playing this weird bird character. <laughs> and then afterwards, he was like, I love playing with you. Sweet. No one's ever told me that before. Oh. And did you tell him that you love playing with him too? Mm-hmm. I was like, I thought I was annoying the hell out of you. He's like, no, I'm like, I just no, like doing no. that. My character was annoyed by you. <laughs> That's what I would tell my wife. When, yeah. uh, I'm role playing. <laughs> no, I'm not annoyed with you. My character is annoyed <laughs> with you. <right> now. <laughs> but we always have this thing with our cat that, like, sometimes I, in her voice, will say something like about Bart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what did you say, Zini? And then she goes, I'm on the phone. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. I'm on the phone. Wait, why does Zini sound like Flapper? All my voices sound like Flapper. <laughs> and C-3PO all at the same oh, time. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, well, we should uh, uh, call up uh, Pierce Brown. Let's do it. Let's and do it. see what kind of funny voices he's got. Okay. 
All right, yes. let's do it. Pierce Brown, hello. That's hey you. Guys, how you doing? Good. Great. Thanks for being thank here. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you for having me on. Uh, my dog and I are excited to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. We are Sweet. excited to talk to you and Individually your dog. or together. Yeah, oh, sometimes they go together. Surprisingly, well, so not as in, much as you think they we'll do. We're preparing to say hi because I showed her to you guys. Oh, but, hi. Uh, here she is. Oh She's usually God. the dungeon master, but the problem is, um, well, her creativity is a little bit limited by her vocabulary. Oh. So, <laughs> it's very simple and short games. All right, back to your That's role. my kind of game. Yeah. How yeah. old is she? Uh, she's three years. Oh. Um, she was actually running around on the streets in L.A., and my best friends found her uh, covered in um, uh, car exhaust, you know, dust and everything. What? Wow. Stopped traffic and then brought her home and uh, to their house. And I, you know, I didn't want a dog at the time. But sorry, I always go up on the spiel. I didn't want a dog at the time. And then they just kind of put her in my arms, and she fell asleep, like, on her back um, with her legs straight up in the air. And I started, like, you know, tearing up. And then they said they named her Eo, which is a character in one of my books. And I was like, well, that's just bullshit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, not so fair. Like, it's not fair. So I was like ambushed by my friend. So I had to adopt her. So Well, good for them for saving her. And I know, for, and I know. you for adopting her. Yeah, well, they lured her over with a leg of, uh, leg of ham. So now she has the pension for ham and <laughs> So, you know, fortunately, so do I. Ham saved her life, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I Hammond saved my life at least three times, so that's good. Um, <laughs> well, three, three. Yeah. <laughs> Only in Dungeons and Dragons, impressive. though. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure. I've used it as bait from the for the trolls a few times. I'm it sure it works. It works there too. Oh, sure, yeah. Every Christmas, there's something about that honeyed ham. You know what I mean? With uh, you guys ever have that um, the really honeyed one that comes from the store that yeah. kind of is? Oh, right. my mom used to always get yeah. that. Yeah, but it's too preserved. But it's also so. Good like sandwiches the day after. Super yeah, salty. That's my favorite. And like shellacked yeah. in like honey. But it's great because all you do is like fall asleep on the couch watching a football game you don't care about afterwards. So, right. Yeah. This is part, part of kind of ham. That's America. Part of tradition. <laughs> yep. That's America. Just one big honeyed ham. <laughs> nice. I like the metaphor. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned, uh, you mentioned your books. A lot of people love these books. Uh, what, what, what can you tell us about them? I've been pretty fortunate. No, uh, the first one is called Red Rising, and it's a five-part series right now. It's going to be a six-part series. And it's a little bit like uh, mixing 1984, you know, caste-based society, dystopian, but then flinging it into the future. And it's about humanity has colonized the solar system, terraformed the worlds, and made them look um, like playgrounds, basically, wonderlands to live in. But there's a caste-based uh, society which rules over it, ruled by the golds who are the top of the hierarchy. Imagine them to be the haves, but they're seven feet tall, beautiful, powerful, and also inspired by ancient Rome and Greece. And mm-hmm. then at the bottom, you have the reds, which are the labor class. And it's about a red um, basically installing himself with the help of a freedom-fighting group within the golds and trying to bring down the regime from the inside. So nice. that's my elevator pitch. Where yeah. did this come from? Where'd this idea come from? <laughs> kind of my obsession with everything uh, old. I mean, I, I really liked historical fiction when I was a kid. One of my first coloring books was, you know, the, the, the Trojan War. Now it was, they, they make no, coloring books of the they Trojan They do. War. It was amazing. All the shields ended up being purple, and my dad thought it wasn't very historically accurate. But I, 
I accessorize nicely. It's like all my yeah. uh, Greek warriors are wearing like a Givenchy, you know? Well, right. I have failed so, my child. It's like the D&D coloring book, though. <laughs> like the D&D coloring book uh, is also oh, yeah. very evocative about bringing people into that world. Yeah. My right. Illithid Mind Flayers had a lot of, you know, purple and pink hues on them, you know? I feel and like so that I think goes. it was just, yeah, it's, I think it's just like as a kid, you kind of just take in everything and then it ends up coming out. Um, you know, you have a common well of things you like. D&D was one of them. Uh, historical fiction was one, and this was kind of like uh, based on the Greek play Antigone, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, Antigone is this young girl who defies the cold power of authority uh, when she's told she can't bury her brother, who's a rebel, and she buries him anyway, and he dies. Uh, and then she's executed for it, and so, you know, Red Rising was kind of inspired by that. Nice. You are combining it into this stew of science fiction, you yeah, know, man. classical literature, uh, you know, that old revolution story. People love those. Yeah, so sure. But then we also get duels, you know? We also get sword duels. So, that, you know, some, yeah, it's fucking important stuff. Some Western yeah. stuff in there, too. Yeah. So when you oh, were, yeah, man. High noon. When you were <laughs> thinking about this, were you always envisioning it as a as a, this multi-part series? Like, up to, as you said, it's going to be six. Yeah, potentially to more. a degree. Part of it for me is a, the act of exploration. This is one of the reasons I think, uh, you know, D&D taps in every day to what I do is because you start building up the muscles when you're a kid of making up the make-believe, you know. And for me, it's not so much having an outline when I'm planning something. It's more exploring it along the way. So it surprised me this series turned into six books, yeah. But in the same time, I kind of know the structure of it although I don't know how I get to the end goal a lot of times. So yeah. sometimes I feel like I'm just like, you know, muddling forward, but you know, it's based on all these stories of, I mean, half the stuff I know is forgotten realms books and star Wars books, you know, the extended universe and star Wars, you know, all the way up to like the Yuzhan Vong invasion and like, you know, Drizzt books and uh, wizards of the coast, like just basically all pours in your head. So you have all these stories and structure, right? And so when you're doing your own, kind of got a lot of stuff to rely on to be inspired by so you're like a dungeon yeah. master for for the story well yeah that's kind of what it that's is what i'm thinking yeah that's what it feels like you know yeah although if I, i'm pretty bad real dungeon master because <laughs> i talk too much so <laughs> like all of my npcs are very talkative <laughs> players exactly, are like yeah. is it our turn yeah <laughs> exactly do we get I'm, to go? I'm setting the stage man i'm setting up the stage <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> having conversations with yourself, like as different NPCs, and you're like, Wait. "Oh, sure, yeah, I've, I've got a full NPC bracket." Yeah, <laughs> there's so many. There's so many damn ins whenever I DM. It's like there's this, always this lone old sword fighter is telling a story, and it's always leads to the quest. You know, nice. sit down in front of the fire. Yeah, it's a traditional beginning. When did you start playing D and D? Ah, man, off and on. I actually first heard about D&D through uh, an old Christian audiobook series called Adventures in Odyssey, which didn't talk explicitly about D&D. It talked about, um, the what was it? There was this, this, this uh, cousin that brings this game into to, to this, like, now 10-year-old in the small town. And this game is, like, you know, evil and occulty and magical and demands human sacrifices. Yeah. And so then I was like... What's that game? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> tell me about that. Yeah, I'm more interested in that. <laughs> You're like, Wait a second. I'm paying attention now. This Jack yeah, Chick so- tract is uh, getting me hooked. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be like Falling Leaf, man. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I found it kind of like on the way that was like the warning against it. Yeah. And then I needed to find out what it was. And I think I got uh, Baldur's Gate 2, or Baldur's Gate 1 and then Baldur's Gate 2, mm-hmm. the fantastic games in 97, 99, I think. Yeah. Which are still some of my favorite games ever. And those were the ones that introduced me to D&D. So I actually found D&D 
interactive side of things after I discovered the uh, role-playing kind of di- the computer games. So, so it's it w- funny. So I was about like 12, maybe, 13. That's cool. And did you end up uh, playing with a lot of people uh, tabletop-wise? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes with uh, friends. It was hard to gather the right group because I lived in eight states, so we were always moving around. And one of the good things about D&D is, is – you can be. You don't have to be friends at the beginning, but you're friends by the end of it. Yeah. Right. And so it was a good way of kind of. Uh, there were some neighbors along the way. I think in North Carolina and then in Colorado, where we played some games with them. But they actually brought me into their groups as opposed to me being, you know, the DM at first. So it was oh, like now, now later in my like 20s and 30s, I've started doing games with friends. But um, a lot of that has to do with kind of this nostalgia wave and everyone being down for board games again, which is really nice. That's so that. I've never heard that before where people used Dungeons and Dragons as a way to kind of find a new friend group when you move to a new place. Mm. But that that's how it worked out for you. You were able to find the nerds kind of right away. away. Well, certain areas weren't as, uh, how do I say it? Uh, D and D friendly. You know, I lived in Texas for a while Uh and I never found a group there. Um, but you know, then I found mutual friends who played Baldur's Gate too. And so what we do is we'd import characters of the land connection and then play on that. Nice. We do it where you can have um, the console, you can see all the dice rolls and everything. Um, so you're still able to keep track of kind of the logistics side of things. So how would you, like, what would the, what's, did you, like, go up to people and be like, hey, you play D&D? Or, like, <laughs> God, like how no, do you, no, like, is there, like, no. a secret? I know. So, like, how do you find this? Yeah. This group? Because I always, the, I always yeah. tell my son, he's six, and I'm like, uh-huh. know, first day of school, I'm like, wear your Pokemon shirt. Like, just let him know that you're that kid. Thanks, mom. And, yeah. <laughs> and immediately, though, he's like, like all of all the kids who like Pokemon are like, "Hey, you play Pokemon?" And I'm like, instant friendship right there. But you probably you, know, you didn't have those resources when you were growing. Well, there's up. a. I did not have a Pokemon shirt growing up. That's or true. a D and D resource or D and D shirt. No, uh, I think that D and D was kind of in a period of hibernation, at least pop culture wise, and like the you know early '90s when I was growing up, mm-hmm. and so it was more. We'd gather around and, you know, every, everyone has a password, right? Whatever your particular fascination is, whatever, you know, say it's, you know, playing Atari or whether it's Dunks and Dragons. And as soon as someone gives you your password and then qualifies that they know enough about it to realize they're not just, you know, a casual consumer of it. When, as soon as you know they're qualified, they're one of your people, then you open up, right? Yeah. And so a lot of it is, I think, finding the conversations to then have, D&D brought up. You know, I, I basically like lay little Easter eggs. I talk about like, like I drop like a mind flare thing or, you know, the, um, what are they called? Uh, Kangax the Demi Lich or, you know, anything like that. And these are like little things that, <laughs> you know, in the, in, the, in the 90s in Texas, if people didn't know what it was, I could still get by without, you know, being called the super nerd. But right. then anyone who knew about it was like, up. Yeah, so. <laughs> you could weed them out that way. So that was your Pokemon yeah, shirt. That, that is was, that, that was, that's the equivalent of your Pokemon shirt. This is my Pokemon shirt. Then my, you know, my 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 dice. Yeah. Yep. Sometimes in detention, you brought your dice because there's nothing else to do. Make little or my dice magic towers. gathering cards. Yeah, or magic cards because those are pretty good in like detention. Yeah, nineties. I think feel like that was the the gateway. Because it was a very visual thing. Like I remember seeing, Completely. I remember yeah. seeing kids in cafeterias playing magic, and then immediately going up to them, being like, "Hey, what deck? What yeah. de- what's your deck?" Oh, you know, yeah. and then immediately <laughs> just start talking about strategy. And then you know that's how you got in. And then you start playing. And, and isn't that the thing? Because I mean, remember those? I mean, in the nineties, it was the king of. Uh, I mean, stores were king. Like you go into stores and it would have war, uh, Warhammer 40k stuff. 
It would have Magic the Gathering cards. It would have all these things that were kind of arcane. I didn't know what they were because my parents weren't particularly involved with any of that. They were a bit more straight-laced. Mm-hmm. And you know, moving around so much, you don't have your kind of core friend group. So a lot of it was discovery. But when I discovered Magic, I was just captivated by the pictures at first, by how evocative they were. Then Warhammer. you know, Warhammer, so evocative in terms of the figurines and the, the personal details you can put on them. And I always liked, you know, I always liked playing with toy soldiers. So Warhammer was great too. So all kind of started spinning together. Creates a gumbo of nerddom, right? From which you can draw yes. for your for your for your uh, for your novel there. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, what kind of characters did you play? What what was your stock and trade? <laughs> I have a I have a problem with being a rogue every time. Who <laughs> who so I we did this uh we were at Comic Con last year and Sam Sykes, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, yeah. he's an author yeah, we know Sam. Yeah, Seven Blades in Black, I think was his latest. And he did a D&D panel where five of us were all rogues who, and none of us were allowed to, I'm sorry, we were all bards, but none of us could solve any, um, res- resolve anything by via combat. And so it was one of the more laborious games, but actually tapped into what I loved as a kid is finding out, like all my friends would be trying to fight the monsters and stuff. What I'd be trying to do is poke around and see if there's any other stories or any way to get the monster on your side. So I'd always like the rogue or the bard characters simply because I feel like they're a little more crafty and there's a few more, well, a few more things you can do with them. Although yeah. every now and then I do like a righteous paladin. Those can be fun. But yeah, you're yeah. right. With a rogue or a bard, you're not, you're not just bashing people across the face with your sword. Yeah. You're, you're uh, you know, trying to solve problems a different way. Or, well, who do you play with? I have been going everywhere. You too, Shelley. I, I really like archers, uh, kind of like that Aragorn ranger archetype is kind of i think my my comfort zone um an archer interesting yeah is that like not uh, what you would have pegged him as not what i would have pegged him as peg we're very good at pegging (laughs) we peg our jeans here a lot yeah i saw the For fifty percent of the people, exactly. They got, they got <laughs> nothing. They got nothing. Go watch Deadpool. Uh, I like you even does, more that, does that go back to like being a kid though? Did you always have a fondness for archers? Did you I always did. Think, like, this was awesome. And it was more. It was more latching on to Aragorn specifically. Like I just loved that that ranger. Asked, you know that that whole aesthetic of being like this badass who can kind of do anything, but it really is very good with a bow, can track and do healing and all that fun stuff. I just loved that 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 trope a lot. And so when I got to playing in one of my first long-running campaigns, I, mm-hmm. I, I was a half-elf ranger. I didn't multi-class or anything. I went ranger all the way up to level 22 in the, in the 3.5 oh, wow, era. Really? And that, that just kind of was like, oh, yeah, no, I feel like I've, I've rangered it out. I've done all the rangering I, I kind of need to do. Uh, I will sometimes go back to it just because it's fun, but I've been branching out from there, and we'll do wizards or sorcerers. Bards are especially fun just because I like the performance aspect. We were, I, was mm-hmm. a, I was a theater person, so I like bringing that kind of like a theater professional to a fantasy setting sure. I think is really fun too. Uh, and the character I'm about to start playing is now like a rock star. He's going to be like a, a bard. Uh, like a seventies uh, mashup mash of yeah. like David Bowie and um, uh, Robert Plant and David Lee Roth. Please tell me he's half. Please tell me he's half orc. He's half elven, actually. <laughs> Not a half orc. I mean, a half orc rock star might be pretty cool. Just it saying. might be. That might be a little bit more metal. Although he, I, th- I maybe he's got some metal in him, but he's, it's more of that. Like he doesn't have to, you know. You know, he could be a he could be a flute playing yeah. rock star. That's I love the uh, I love the androgynous kind of uh, you know Goblin King Labyrinth 
uh, vibe. Uh, sure, for that I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. I, I, I didn't tap into the David Bowie aspect. Now I get it. Yeah, get it. right. That kind of like the big hair, the great outfit. Yeah, exactly. And he's got wand, dual wielding wands, things like that. So like, it, I, I like, definitely, yeah, I like coming up with just random weird concepts to 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 latch onto, and then be like, I'm gonna play that yeah. out as as long and, and hard as I can. <laughs> Yeah, well, you can only do so many shots with your bow, so now you're exploring D&T in its full capacity. Exactly. <laughs> Aging 1970s rock stars. One of my favorites ever is that, you ever see the movie Love Actually? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, what's the name? Uh, Bill, is it Bill Nye? Bill Nye, the yeah. rock star in that. Yeah. So I, I'm imagining him meets David Bowie. That's pretty oh, good. Yeah. I was going for, like, yeah, the younger versions of rock stars because that's, like, your thing, but maybe you're right. Sure. Maybe he should be older or, you know, maybe something hey, will man. happen to him. Well, and he he's end up being campaign. Yeah, he's on the verge of yeah. a second hit. Oh, he's feeling it. He knows it. He knows it. Yes, I know. I, I feel like <laughs> there's so much. I don't know. A little inspiration, you know. Right. I don't know if my dungeon master is listening to this, but if we go to hell and then somehow he ages in the process of going to hell, like it might he might oh, be young in the material plane, yeah. but then he's this. You know, kind of oh, aged yeah. version of himself who's washed up and not. Terrible, terrible fate to befall Wouldn't a character it? like that. Yeah. Yes, it's almost like. See again, there's so many good story hooks with this this new storyline. Yeah, like sending your characters to hell and then making the one thing like that you know, like internally would would cause them the most emotional pain and damage make it happen to them yeah like if your character is super vain or superficial and like this is their success is and their youth is the one thing that they just you know feel good about then all of that gets erased Taken and they away. age super fast and then and now you're washed up they're that love actually character and what if that actually is your future and then you go to hell and you see it it feels like i'm living that that right now Shall I? <laughs> old washed up <laughs> communications manager <laughs> Well, it's official. This got dark. This yeah. got real dark all of a sudden. Your uh, fantasy is not, what, not what, fantasy what, enough. I, I think you were asked what, uh, what characters. Yeah, Shelly's up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I used to always play magic users because I just thought magic would be the coolest thing that you could possibly mm-hmm. do in D&D. Mm-hmm. And then somebody was like, wow, I'm surprised you, like, that you like magic users because oh. they're really hard to play. And I'm like, are they? What do you mean? And then I decided to play a ranger once and I'm like, this is so much easier. I'm yeah. just going to fire my bow because now I like rangers, um, but I like the idea of not having to worry so much about the spells that I'm preparing and the spells that I'm casting and how many spells I'm left, and now I can focus on more creative parts of the story because I, I mm-hmm. like I'm not, I might fire my bow, but I might fire my bow at a chandelier or something and try to break a bulb that then the bulb shatters and then pieces of the glass fall and so, you know like it's not just like i'm gonna fire at the monster but i just i feel like yeah. it gives me more creative freedom to just enjoy the game and the character if i'm if i'm not so worried about my turn is coming what do i have prepared where am i going to stand to make this thing happen it's just it's very liberating now well that's always kind of the stressful thing about playing a magic user is so much of the magic affects the whole party or at least the whole situation especially right. you know you're doing AOE type things or buffer buff things, and uh, you know it, it, sometimes it is more fun to just focus on the linear approach. Yeah, because magic users for me have always been so super complicated. The only time I do it is a VR for like uh, Morrowind, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Skyrim. Yeah, it's VR because you get to throw magic with one hand in the VR because you know the paddles and stuff which is I, awesome. I but, haven't like, done that. Is that good? Is it? Is it? The graphics ain't great, but it's kind of really cool because. You get this weird cathartic release when you actually get someone with your bow because you pull it back and there's actually tension on one of the paddles when you pull it back. So you're pulling back your string 
putting one arm out and it starts vibrating. So you kind of got to match up. When you're shooting, you're shooting a guy pretty realistic in terms of physics going on. So I kind of, you know, when I get a good shot, I'm like, woohoo, you know, get excited. But I think that that VR catharsis is different than, you know, uh, when you're just playing with the joysticks. There's a different feeling there, almost like a sympathetic or uh, empathetic connection to the body. So the magic side of things is really good. The graphics get a bit nauseous too. But besides that, take take some drama me. Oh. That's always my problem too, is like if something's a little bit off, I'll start to be like, oh, God, I got that. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. I played Resident Evil on it and it was just very, ooh, yeah. But um, no, but other times, like it just, it takes too much time for me to, and too much energy to prep the magic spells. Yeah. Uh, and I just, yeah, that's why I almost always go for, you know, a damage dealing rogue, which I love, you know, because backstab is infinitely rewarding. Because I love that 6x or 5x that I get, you know, that's always great. Yeah. I don't think I'm, I'll, I'll try anything. I don't, I don't want to be a cleric and I don't want to be a fighter. Yeah. I just don't. Not a healer? Not a healer. I'm not good in emergencies. Mm. Don't call me. <laughs> I'm not good coming. To know. I'm not going to help. Know. Can't help you. No, I'm the, I will just, I will freak out. I'm, well, you know, if, if I'm losing a limb imaginarily, I will call Greg. Call Greg. <laughs> That's it. I will, it's so, I will give it's you so some much, ranger it's magic. so much pressure. <laughs> Thank you, know? you. Like, do you want to heal? good old Aragorn. Yeah. Exactly. I'll crush some athletes and give it to you. You'll do oh, so. you, Thank you. That's very sweet. I mean, I, then, I feel like he has Arwen on call, so maybe I can get some elven magic in there, too. That is, that is sweet. Um, yeah. So uh, I, you, you said he moved around to a bunch of different places. Uh, yeah. Wh- wh- why? What was what was the reason? Why were you were jumping around? Was it army uh, army yeah. situation? No, not army. My mom uh, was in local media, uh, so she was actually the one of the first females to run a TV station in the country. So she's general manager of TV stations. Oh, cool. But she didn't start there, so we kind of bounced around uh, as she went market to market. Then they put her in a small market in North Carolina, and then it just kept you know every three years would be a new market just because that's kind of how that industry works. Mm. Plus in the nineties, it was going through, you know, huge seismic changes in the industry in terms of the revenue. And then in terms of the internet changing the media landscape. I mean, you know, does anyone watch local news now? Not too many people, but it used to dominate. It used to dominate yeah. the info flow, you know? And so bounce around doing all that. So it was, you know, three to four years in each place, mostly kind of in the South and Midwest. And, uh, where in, where in North Carolina were you? Uh, we were in Greensboro. Why are you from there? No, I lived in Durham for five years. Okay, school or? Uh, no, that's, uh, I was there for a website writing about video games. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. so it was, it, was, it was a cool gig uh, and made me move from New York to, to Durham. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, that was a bit of a culture shock still. Still kind of I would say. reeling <laughs> from that shock right now. Uh, sure. but, uh, yeah, but I, you know, Greensboro was not too far away. I would, I would drive. No, there do you still like, do you still like vinegar in your barbecue? I do still like vinegar on the barbecue. <laughs> I, really I, know, do. <laughs> I still do, man. I just need that little nip. Yeah. I, it was, it, I, before I'd moved there, I didn't realize that there was different state slash region, regional barbecues. I had no idea. Either. I mean, coming no, from it, yeah. New England, I thought all barbecue was the same. I didn't really realize. Within the state, sure. there's many different. Yeah. So there's, there's North Carolina's got, uh, uh, well, there's two, there's, there's, most central and western North Carolina has got the vinegar, but this is, I don't know, the eastern North Carolina is mayonnaise, mayonnaise-based uh, barbecue. Ma- yeah, mayonnaise, and it's like really mustardy too, right? Yeah. Like yellowy. Right. Yeah. And then there's Texas uh, and Kansas. You and, realize what you just uh, described there. What? 
the devil's mustard. The devil's mustard. <laughs> the devil's it's mayonnaise but yellowy and mustardy. Ugh, that no. actually sounds great on fries. Yeah, you can ask <laughs> like, Greg. You know what I mean? It was oh, on yeah. everything. It was pretty gross. Yeah. Uh, oh. She's referencing the fact that I got sick when we did our uh, uh, event, and I had. Oh, that's fun. And I had. That's fun. I, I was conjunctivitis, was and I was like oozing everywhere. Oh and no! And it was. We were talking about descent to Avernus, so I called it the devil's mustard. Was in my eyes. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like you do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Icar El Diablo. <laughs> well, that would have been Del, much Del, better. Del Diablo. Del Diablo. Del Diablo. <laughs> you were like cosplaying. I was cosplaying yeah. as a as a as a everything. As a devil Even when you're sick, you're on brand in culinary form. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. So you got to admire the dedication. <laughs> I do. I do. Really, you know Absolutely. what's next? What next? When he, you know, when he loses an arm in a battle, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> in real life, we do it for real life. Ogre, I mean, right? ogre, is he going to take it off? Yeah, I personally think. <laughs> Now we're back you in know, Jack Chip territory, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is what Adventures in Odyssey, that Christian show, warned me about. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> all of the occult things See? that could happen to you. Oh, I know. Like in it, they like did the hand thing, like offering blood sacrifices <gasps> and stuff. And, I was and like, you were like, "Yes." Is, <laughs> um, this is this is well, you know, uh, it's dedication to a game, to a craft. And I was excited. Yeah, that's probably why D and D was so popular then. Well, I mean, all the kids were like. Know. Give me some of that sacrifice. That is one of the things when you're like, hey, don't do this anymore. I know. People are like, yep, sign me up I'm for gonna it. I'm going to do that hey, thing. People, people love a little transgression, you know? Um, but I mean, but that actually goes into a point that I was trying to make about you moving around, which was mm, that many people, you know, I mean, it's part of that satanic panic kind of idea was that uh, kids who play D&D were not social. They were, you know, antisocial. Mm. They were playing mm. by themselves in the basement. But, right. you know, I think you kind of, lived this embodiment of, of like, no, that's how I made my friends. That's how I, you know, created my social groups when you went from place yeah. to place, right? It's the funny thing because those are the friends I remember the best. Now you have your friends on like on, you know, sports teams and stuff because you're moving around and it's, you know, it's still the 90s. We're all playing sports, right. you know? Uh, and so that I feel as though it's the way that when you can find the thing inside yourself that, you know, how there's kind of the young kid version of you, the one that doesn't really have agency, and then there's like that point in your life where like the kid dies a little bit and then you become an adult and become the active participant in your life, making choices, et cetera. The thing is, I think that the links between those two different people, you know, the, the kid and the adult, uh, them as those links are, are still things that are things we almost are trained to be guilty about, you know, like playing D&D, uh, reading comics, uh, reading books, watching movies. It's all this stuff that kind of seems... Like we're being gluttonous if we do it, you know. You should be working. You should be progressing, and all these. But really, it's that nostalgia. It's those things you liked when you were a kid that are still like the beating heart of you. You know what I mean? It's like I have no more fun than when I sit down to to play, you know, uh, five hours of my favorite real time strategy game. You know what I mean? Or when I sit down because I redownloaded the Baldur's Gate two. Uh, they did the like a, a definitive pack with Neverwinter Night and everything. Yeah, and I played like three weeks uh, solid uh, last year, and it was the happiest I've been in such a long time. But we're trained to feel guilty about all that stuff. But in reality, isn't it like more a celebration of all the stuff that makes you you? Because it opens up your mind. It makes you excited to think. It's like my version of meditation. A lot of my friends go to yoga. I can't abide yoga, but. <laughs> I read and I play D and D, and it's these type of things that make me feel like me. You know what I mean? Calmer, happier. Uh, like I'm in a conversation. It's 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 play too that I think is really important. That adults right? don't really. You're right. Like we're almost made to feel like that's childish. Uh, but I always love latching onto it because it is what 
you know, your, your, your expression of yourself is. And, exactly. And if you the truest version. Yeah. And if you can't do that, if, if being adult means shutting down the expression of yourself, well, then yeah. that's going to lead to all kinds of, you know, shit. <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, what? Isn't that the problem? Like when I find that I'm not doing the things I like, I find I'm a little bit snippier, a little bitterer, a little, yeah. little more on my phone, on Instagram. And I don't care about that. Yeah. What I care about it sitting down with a big fat book, you know, or having friends over and doing a board game night. Because that's the stuff that, you know, taps into what makes you you. Yeah, there's like there's a million studies about why play is good for kids, and mm-hmm. that's this is why they even do things like play based therapy. Like it's all rooted in play, oh, yeah. and because like so much of just like watching kids just whatever they gravitate towards and just letting them be, and then like you said, like it's lost as adults. But it's also key for adults to keep doing those things because you know for in your professional life too, I'm sure that oh gosh, staying creative and like finding these these other different outlets are probably maybe those are ways to make you know in, find inspiration for you or to you know keep yeah. your, your writing chops sharp or you know like help with your storytelling skills and all that yeah, there's almost two metaphors for one is you know you're, you're working the muscle uh, yeah. especially in something like D, especially in some of the real-time strategy games i play when you're reading etc you're working the muscle and yeah. so you're still in the game you're still practicing and then the other part is the old Stephen King line is like, you got to put gas in the tank. Mm. And he reads so much and he says, a writer who doesn't read isn't a writer because you, ha- you got to refuel, refuel because every time you write a book, you're kind of using all you, oh, sorry, you're using all you, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I did read the, I did read the, the, the guidelines. Oh, no, um, you're all good. <laughs> okay. We don't, it's uh, we're just going to drop F-bombs nonstop. It's all, all right. right. Cool, cool. All right. <laughs> so uh, you are... Yeah, I forgot what I was even saying. Oh no! You're, yeah, this, the whole Stephen King thing—I totally, I totally oh, love. Yeah. You got to put gas in the tank. You got to take your time, right? Yeah, and I wonder if to—I mean, starting, but like, I, I love oh, this idea of um, that you're not just putting gas in the tank; you're also associating creativity and imagination, not just with work. Right, because if you, as a writer, yeah. I can imagine that, like mm-hmm. every single time you're you're trying to use your imagination, it might feel like daunting. It might be like, oh crap, Gosh, I gotta write, I gotta write these pages, yeah. or I'm gonna be screwed. But it's if, claustrophobic more than anything else. Yeah, but if you're using That's those muscles is. when you're playing too, that mm-hmm. must feel good, right? So you're like, oh, it doesn't always necessarily mean that when I'm creative, I'm on the clock. Right. Yeah, it, it feels kind of like uh, sometimes you ever see a tennis match and there's a good volley. And sometimes there's, it takes a good volley if one guy's pounding the other one or one gal's pounding the other one. And it takes a good volley to wake up the player, and then it's like an even match. Yeah. Because it's like it's that volley. It's getting the muscles going. It's getting the rhythm going. And that's what kind of reading, it's what uh, these games that wake up your mind do. It's the volley. And then you, and you're up, your turn to play, and you're, you're already warmed up. You already remember the beats. So it kind of just keeps you in the zone. But it also, you know, there's a big emphasis, I think, on, I mean, a lack of emphasis on cozy. You know, what makes you cozy? What makes you happy? And these things make me cozy, so. There's also a lot to be said for having time with your friends, you know, like, mm. or whoever the people that you play with and having a reason because a lot of times, you know, as adults, you're busy. You feel like there are priorities and families yeah. and things that you have to do at home. But there is a lot to be said, like, when you just get that quality time with your friends, like, you well, need I think, it. Yeah. Especially the nail on the head. Dudes, yeah. dudes are dudes are not as good it's about bro. doing it. As, it's really as hard. Yeah. I do have to say, especially once you know kids get into the mix of like having friendships with other, you know, it doesn't have to be dads, but just other oh, you know, yeah. guys of yeah. forty years old. It's like hard to be like, hey, do you want to hang out? Nobody ever does that. Making Nobody a ever new says male that. Friend. Making a new male friend is very difficult past like 
25 or 30. Yeah. And it's, and I live in LA and you guys are in Seattle, right? Yeah. That's right. Well, you guys got the Seattle freeze. That's right. Yeah. 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 I used to live up in Seattle. I know it well. Uh, yeah. People are very polite, however, very Nordic in the way they kind of like don't invite you into their friend group. Right. You yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like they'll, they'll invite, they're very nice to you at, at the party, but they're not going to say won't. let's hang out. They'll say it, their, but they will you know never I mean? follow up it's on never, it. It's never, exactly. Yeah. It's a weird thing up there. I know. That I think has just been emphasized with all the influx of people moving in with the tech world, you know? That's weird. But in LA, it's a bit different. The problem is people do want to hang out, and then you have to question whether or not, well, do you have a soul? You know? <laughs> <laughs> How do you weed that out? How do you tell? I, yeah, like... exactly. Are you an evil doppelganger? Oh, you know? Right. You know, it's like, and so... The, but the good thing is this rebirth of D&D getting popularized again, you know, by some, uh, you know, what's his name? Joe Maginello. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of the people in that community, you know, they have some big, like, uh, authors <laughs> sometimes face off. <clears throat> I know Pat Roth has done a couple games and things. And it's that kind of thing that is bringing it back into uh, popular consciousness, which is really nice because I'm finally getting people who want to play D&D. You know, where in the past it's very hard to recruit people, but a lot of people who have never played it before but are very familiar with the rules, very familiar with the archetypes, and familiar with the Forgotten Realms world, right? But have never actually played a game. But there's also that thing, it's kind of like skiing, right? You're kind of intimidated to go skiing again, even even though you want to go, but you're also kind of afraid of not being a good skier or that you don't know the rules, but it just seems kind of like there's this moat, you yeah. know, that you got to get over it and you just got to, you know, sack up and do it. For D&D, it's kind of the same thing. I feel like a lot of people are intimidated by it. The thing is, it's pretty intuitive once you get a game going. But, That's what we always tell people. It's yeah, like, yeah. you don't need to know. And we were talking about it in the intro, even like it's, it's, it's hard to make, let people believe you that you don't need to read all three of those books and know them yeah. before you start playing. Like you really need like zero. I mean, everything you can get, you can get from the dungeon master or from your other players. Yeah. And I guarantee you, and you guys see, you guys play other board games and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you know how long it usually takes for a complicated board game. It can take two hours, hour and a half to learn the rules, and it all somehow kind of comes full circle when you're playing like your third round in it, and you're like, ah, okay, right? Like this I know why this was the rule. Oh, okay, that makes sense now. Yeah. Then there's all these people kind of having these strategies, you know, <laughs> all these like half-assed strategies growing out of nothing, and then it becomes a real game, and then whoever wins is kind of cocky, and then the first other people say. Are you going to count the first game, bro? <laughs> That's not a real game. <laughs> but see, there's already that sunk thing, you know, in learning all these other board games. And the funny thing is, D&D doesn't take that amount of time. D&D is the one that you can learn it by playing it. For sure. Know, which is so weird. Like people, a lot of people who've never ever played it or seen it being played, they all have that one incorrect notion is about the rules. Yeah. That's the only thing they know. About, oh, out. you have to know too many rules. Too many rules. I'll never read up and learn those rules. Yeah. yeah. When you really don't. You do not know. No, it's so free form, right? And that's what makes it wonderful. It makes w- why we've played it probably a hundred times, you know? So are you, uh, uh, are you able to, to recruit people in LA? Are you playing in a group now? So, actually, I'm not playing in a group now, but we just put a group together. So nice. we're actually just going to, so it started off as a board game group uh, and we kept learning all these board games we're playing. We're playing uh, some good stuff, but I think finally converted enough to do a D&D game. So we're putting it together now, uh, getting a DM who's done it a bunch of times because uh, I haven't done it in years. So it'll be a lot of fun. Cool. Awesome. I'm pretty excited. So you're gonna yeah, I, roll up a new character here, or what? Probably, probably. I'm gonna have to devise one. I haven't, I haven't even thought about it though. You know, what do you think I should be? I think you should be a rogue. You should be a rogue. Yeah, go Maybe back to your roots. Go back to the nostalgia roots. What if <laughs> I'm a rogue? What if I'm a rogue magic user? Just, <laughs> just to complicate. Do it. 
<laughs> yeah, with, yes, with uh, with uh, split personality disorder. Yes. Perfect. One of you is oh my gosh. a magic user. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone uh, doing a that 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 combo, right? Where they can actually pull that off. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of. Uh, you play Baldur's Gate too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of Edwin the Magician. If oh yeah. He got paired up with like Minx's uh, mouse. Boo. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, part of him would be super cuddly, boo side, and the other part is Edwin, who is you know notoriously power hungry and avaricious. It's like yeah. the Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde uh, situation. Exactly. Except one one of my personalities is is cozy and comfortable and lovely as a hamster, and and is named Eo, perhaps. Oh. <laughs> oh my God. Eo. Yeah, we have to we have to bring her in. <laughs> <laughs> here comes the doggo. Come on, Eo, get in here. She's like, oh look, she's oh, just. Did someone say my name? She's just like no, has such a good temperament. Oh, she's so chill. She doesn't bark at all. I haven't heard her like make any noises. No, she's a real quiet dog unless um, unless there's lizards at play. So uh, along my property here, uh, there's a lot of uh, sadly a lot of lizards with half their tails missing. Oh, they, <laughs> they grow back, no big. I know, but she, the funny thing is, she has no no kill instinct whatsoever. Like she'll pin the lizard. And then it'll fake die, and then she like you see this weird like kind of guilt go through her eyes. Oh. She looks at it like, did I kill it? And then the lizard plays dead, and then it runs off, right? But you know she she's very relieved about that. I mean, oh, my yeah. uh, we, we found a bumblebee on the uh, on the ground the other day, and for some reason one of my friends said you're supposed to put injured bumblebees in sugar water. So we put it in this little cup. I don't know if it's accurate or not, but he did. Uh-huh. And he put it in this cup, and it seemed to resurrect this bumblebee like, like almost instantaneously, but actually over the course of 30 minutes. But Eo sat by the uh, the cup the entire time and was just watching to make sure the bee was happy. Aww, and when it flew yeah. away, she ran back just waving her tail around. So, you know, I'm not project- I'm, I project a lot of human emotions on her, which she, which she absolutely does not have. But that was a very kind of like human empathy cute thing that yeah. I loved. Yeah. See, yeah. she would be she a cleric. She cares about bees. She cares about bees. She cares about the bees. Everyone should care about the bees. Care- bees. bees are She's very like important. a cleric for bees. Yes, bees. Oh, that would be a really fun character, a beekeeper. Like no one ever, like I love oh, taking strange jobs and trying to put him into a, a, a fantasy trope uh, type What about situation. like a, bee, a beekeeper, like but along the, along the strain of, uh, what, what was it, Friar Tuck? Yeah. From Robin Hood? Yeah, there's like yeah, a happy-go-lucky, yeah. honey-obsessed... Who has bee grenades. <laughs> there oh, actually is man. a... Uh, there's a... Um, uh, do you know what Unearthed Arcana is? It's an uh, article that we do on our website that has playtest content, essentially. So oh, they, okay. we put up, like, uh, versions of uh, classes recently, and one of them was called... I think it was a ranger ca- uh, subclass, the Swarm Master. I was just going to say you could have a swarm. Yeah. And so it, they can use send the bees after people? They can send yes. bees. I think... I think they, any, any animals that can swarm. So I think it was, like, rats or bats, bees being one a of them. A swarm master? A swarm master. So you can throw, literally, like, grenades of bees at people. That's like kind of super thing. terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Or rats, like a bag of rats. I mean, (laughs) that's in Dungeon Mayhem. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty effective. I mean, I one time threw a bag of dog poop at someone. It was very effective. I can only imagine if there were twenty rats in the bag, how much more effective with poop was it? Flaming, (laughs) flaming bag of poop. It was. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wait, how did she light it and then throw it? It wasn't flaming. I lied to be more dramatic. He's he's a writer. I'm sorry. There's nothing like napalm and poop in the morning. <laughs> I bet you could do it with like a sparkler that would then light the bag. In- oh, never mind. I'm, it's- uh, no, you could. You could. What you'd have to do is you put something in some like little, like in a gelatinous capsule somehow inside yes. it. 
you put something that's very flammable so when it hits it bursts right and so then you could light it so when it the the it bursts then it leaks onto the flame then it explodes outward giving um some liquefied poop uh, and flaming debris it's an aoe spell i think it would also deal psychic damage because yeah that's like a shit palm shit palm (laughs) (laughs) fantastic uh, Copyright that stuff, guys. That's it. We're putting that in the, yeah. the Swarm Master. We're going to add that. <laughs> yes. The Swarm Master would be terrifying if you think about it. Like, if you, I mean, you live in North Carolina. Shelly, where are you from? Upstate New York. Upstate New York. Okay. So you guys know, you know, you have black, uh, like, wasps and hornets up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you ever got stung by one of those things as a kid? Yeah. It feels mm-hmm. like, a, like a little gunshot, right? Yeah. And it keeps stabbing you, right? It was like black hornets. If you threw, like, a grenade at those things, Man, yeah, that's some that's some shrapnel. And but they would be what not happens happy about it. to them? The the, warna, the the wasps? Because you know, I got a thing. I I also love animals. Even I'll even mm. I'll even feel bad for a hornet. Even wasps, are they gonna die? Yeah, when you throw them. Uh, some uh, might. See, I feel bad. I feel bad. Bees would. That's why I advocate using hornets because they just sting and doesn't matter. Right. We we got bees. However, yeah. bees. Yeah, we don't want to be responsible for a mini genocide. No. <laughs> Yeah. And plus, bees pollinate. We, there's, there's all this, you know, bee colony honey. thing that's happening. Yeah, I'm actually pretty defensive about bees because I think they're really, like, really pretty and lovely, and also kind of innocuous and innocent. But when you see, like, when you see a bee in like lavender or something in your garden or in flowers right. you own, you kind of get a feeling of like, oh, oh I, life, I right? do. I also like feel Every really time. proud. Like, they're in my lavender. I like, know. Like they came here. To I'm my giving house. them. Le- I'm giving yes. them nectar. Yeah, that's. But what also, they need. bees. Bees are like workhorses, man. They're really taking care of the world. Yes. You know, you look at ants and you look at mosquitoes, and you're like, eh, I could do without. You know, I can see conceivably how the world would be like, better. Like for sure, you. a mosquito too. Like yeah, and flies. You know, yeah. but you know, spiders, for instance, are very industrious. I know, and, and they eat other. They eat lesser bugs. And spiders yeah. are great. You have to love spiders if you live in Seattle. Amazing. We just got. Oh yeah, no, no poisonous spiders. No poisonous awesome. spiders, but there's spiders but everywhere. everywhere. For like, oh yeah, especially, especially for like the yeah, last two months. Right now. Yeah, spider season. Yeah, just yeah, spider, yeah. They always have that two windows. months at the end of summertime, right? Yeah. We we in LA just had this time where it got really cold, cold for LA, and then got hot again, like nineties, um, and it just for some reason is perfect conditions for mosquitoes to oh. be birthed or something like that. Yeah, so I. I was pretty happy about uh, having friends over and outside. There's never been any mosquito problems since last time they come over, and everyone is like, I'm getting you a housewarming present. It's going to be a citronella candle. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't plan on I don't this usually mom. have those. Yeah, I didn't plan on this Mongolian horde of mosquitoes. Right. Well, that's yes. also a good swarm. Well, have them yeah. live in North Carolina yeah. for like five minutes. Like, yes. Oh, that is the worst no, place for m- any f- mosquitoes. No, the South. The South. Mosquitoes. Yeah. Dude, it's insane. It is insane. Like, I, summertime out there is almost completely ruined because that humidity and yeah. the mosquitoes. Ugh. Yeah, you just eat a lot of garlic and have a lot of lavender. Apparently, that's the secret. That's what I've heard. I'm not sure if it's really effective. That's what a swarm master would would tell me. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. They would know all of the homeopathic <laughs> remedies for for insect repellents. Oh, he's inoculated because he's taken his syringe injection of gar- pressed garlic. <laughs> they obey him. I'll do that for yeah. you too. I can I can shoot garlic into anybody. Yeah. You know Man. what? It's that sacrifice you make that extra leap <laughs> to be a real a real player. Yeah. <laughs> What's that wear, smell? If you could wear your, a swarm like armor in some cases. If you oh, were the swarm master, if you could you just go. be like, I'm in my swarm. 
just have let you seen them, those, like, swarm around like you? Like those pictures of people who have, like, the bee, like, beards, where, like, they're, yes. they're, they're put, they put, like, a queen bee up here, and that means they're, like, all of a sudden there's beards uh, made of bees. Uh, yeah. Uh. All I'm imagining now is that Nick Cage movie. Uh, <laughs> Not the bees! <laughs> <laughs> I know. They put that helmet on him, I think, and he's trapped in the bear. Yeah, yeah. Was that Wicker Man? Or was that Wicker Man? Wicker oh, Man. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow, come yeah. on. It's a good one. Very classic, I'm very classic of modern cinema. All of those things I'm thinking about for your character. <laughs> I think you're going to do it. Uh, you know what? I'm going to ditch the hamster side of things, and he's going to be a beekeeper. Needs, uh, needs an atrociously avaricious mage. Perfect. I love it. Yeah. So many options. When you, when you, what kind of uh, story are you guys going to play for this uh, for this campaign? Do you know yet what the DM's going to do? I, I do not know. No, I'm putting my uh, my fate in his hands. Are you? Uh, is it other? What do you recommend? What do you recommend? I've been out of the game for a little while. Well, we just came out with Baldur's Gate: Descent into Avernus. So if you're a Baldur's Gate fan, uh, which mm. you are, uh, this yeah. is set in the, the first part of it is set in that city. So has all the things going on. Uh, oh, great! Uh, it's a hundred years after the the events of the Baldur's Gate video games, but you know a lot okay. of the same. Things hold true. I uh, stole the map, like somewhere around here. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's oh, there's a new updated one uh, in the book, um, and uh, but then there's there might be a, cool. a journey to the first layer of hell in that adventure. Maybe. Oh, cool. Yeah, called the Vernon. Yeah, so that's yeah. that's something that uh, you It's you know you can it's. Uh, uh, what kind of creatures should I expect in hell? Devils. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of devils. <laughs> Lots uh, of devils. There's abyssal chickens. I think it's something that was new uh, and created for that. They're like like demon birds, essentially, uh, that look pretty awful. Uh, a lot of people have latched onto those as being oh, yeah. not necessarily cute, but at least the not terrifying as, blobs as of demons. Yeah, as long as they're not as annoying as kobolds, I'll be okay. About the, they don't they don't have any speech, <laughs> so at least you'll be out that going for you. Yeah, I feel like less annoying for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so all of the all most of the things you encounter in hell are like you know either uh, fiends uh, on their own right or you know sure, uh, sure. D- just destroyed Probably souls. Probably some sort of elementals, I imagine. Sure, uh, but there's Probably also fire elementals down there. Oh yeah, actually, I don't know if I, if there are. I've been trying. I'm going to be playing that campaign, so I haven't like delved okay. into because uh, I don't want any spoilers for myself. But I don't I don't sure, know if there's sure. a lot of it. But, it's hard. There are some characters there. within there that end up being like uh, almost like gangs, a la um, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, oh, cool. So okay. they're independent. They're not on the side of the devils or the demons at sure. all, but they have formed their own like little enclaves, and they have these infernal war machines that are powered by souls uh, that are rampaging the wasteland and yeah. can work with together or against them and those are uh, naturally lots of different types of creatures that are like elves as well as necromancers so is this like, like is like a is it a planar gate we go through at the beginning of this or is it is it a physical location like the underdark it is a planar gate yeah you go to the plane okay, of cool. the nine hells and uh, uh most of it's focus. always wanted to exactly sure. right your chance. yeah yeah there's gonna be some cool loot there it's yeah gotta be. Oh. yeah yeah well the story is that a city has been an entire city has been sucked into avernus uh, and that it, same yeah. fate is is uh, might befall Baldur's Gate, and so you're sent kind of to stop that and maybe even rescue the the, the city. Well, that's been I into simply there. can't allow that to happen. Exactly, My bees reside within Baldur's Gate. <laughs> oh, there you go. Do it for the bees. Yes, and the ladder of power I wish to climb resides in Baldur's Gate. There is no Baldur's Gate. There is no ladder. And what is the point of life without a ladder? Chaos is a ladder. <laughs> a ladder to get out of that first layer of hell. Sure, that's all it takes, right? Yeah, just a like a really big ladder. 
Probably yeah. not a wooden yeah. ladder. Yeah, it'll take a while. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Sis- uh, Sisyphus ladder. Sisyphus oh, ladder. yeah. Yeah, keep when, when you're going up, uh, bees keep falling down on you. Not a boulder, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you, we're not getting away from that joke, Shelley. No, we're going to keep it going. We're going to keep it going for yeah. a long time. It's all going to go. Yeah. Um, so... Have you been able to use uh, your your fun of D anD uh, and infuse it into your your writing for your for your books? Quite a bit, almost on a very superficial level. A lot of times, I put together sequences in books uh, that are based around party dynamics, and I create the party dynamics based off this you know latent idea and understanding of the archetypes I learned in D anD D. And D anD D is a perfect balance of parties, right? And look at Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy is basically a D&D crew. And so our D&D party. And I think the Fast and the Furious is too. And I think all these things are basically how do you put archetypes together, invert them a little bit, and put the, you know, see some friction between uh, the various personalities. And that's awesome. I mean, that's what storytelling is, right? It's groups of friends too. And so I think that yeah, I've taken a lot from the party dynamic side of things, but also a lot based on uh, just the skill sheets alone. So I started off... Sometimes if I'm having difficulty conceptualizing a character or understanding, you know, the kind of the dynamics of a battle or something, hmm. I'll actually go through and create a character skill level sheet for uh, each of my characters. So, like, I'll give them charisma points, uh, intelligence points, etc., and I actually print them off off of D&D websites and then just oh, fill no it in way. for the characters. So, yeah, so, like, I'll know someone's strength is, like, 19 or dexterity. So it makes it keeps me more honest. So people can't just all of a sudden be stronger than someone in a fight. So that they have to win according to their virtues, according to their skill sets. And the thing is over a five five book series, you start having this and keeping a record of things. Well all of a sudden the power hierarchy is much more interesting. And if you can allow the people to know the power hierarchy the readers will know the power hierarchy. So then when we get into a battle or a situation where there's violence at hand, they can have an understanding and more of a grounding in what will actually happen. So instead of like me deciding because of what the story needs, it kind of makes sense based on what we've seen of them, based on the kind of skill levels they have. So I think that it's a really clever way of you know balancing uh, characters' gifts or you know their failings, the the skill sheet. So I have you know a lot of times it'll be wisdom nine, you know, but the intelligence is nineteen, and so what kind of dynamics does that create? You know, any good character is inherently at war with themselves. You know, not just based on motivations, not just based on stuff like that, but based on their capabilities. You know, they have a screwdriver, right? But they need a hammer. Or they are a hammer. And so it's like just figuring out those little things. So yeah, they're very helpful. I love creating the idea of uh, uh, creating character sheets for each of your characters. I do too. To keep it consistent. so interesting. Yeah. Especially, especially really nice. for you even level? minor characters too. So that yeah. you're like, oh yeah, so I know that this minor character has got all these things that you might not be able to, to tell like it you know, three books later. Exactly. And I tell you what helps keep track of things. And a lot of times I'll have I'll print out the ones with kind of the body, the sheet. Uh, so you actually see uh, like a, not an avatar, but you know, what the armaments they're wearing, what shield they have, et cetera, the equipment. Mm. And that's also really nice because it helps you keep track of the iconography throughout the series. Like <laughs> what items do they get? How is it important to them? How does it influence a scene? Is it in, you know, does it help them solve a situation? Does it create a liability? Because a lot of times you'll, they'll be walking in with a ring that was stolen from like the brother of another character and that brother's in the room and I'll forget about it. And then I'll be like, ah, that's an obvious point of tension because then I can see it in physical form. And then that character would see it. And so then it actually feels like it exists a bit more. And so you find a lot, lot like writing is mostly happy coincidences. And then you pretending like you had thematic reasons for doing everything. <laughs> 
you know, it's like first draft, but then you have four drafts and that's when you get like smart. It gets, you know, better and better with each draft because you reverse engineer things. And so it gives you more ammunition, gives you more variables to work with because all of a sudden you have these character sheets and you can just see, oh, that doesn't work with this. Oh, look at that. Tame these two people up. This weapon helps against this person. Not at all effective against this person, but it reminds you of things and I don't know, this is a good resource. That is super cool. I know. It reminds me of when we talked to uh, uh, Bob Salvatore. You mentioned him uh, as yeah, a lot of, a lot of his Salvatore. books. At one oh. point, I don't think he kept a character sheet of Jarlaxle handy. Sure. Uh, yeah. And I think he had mentioned so many different magic items that that character had had. And uh, instead of uh, you know having that character sheet handy, he went on to forums and posed a question anonymously. be like, hey, what are all the magic <laughs> items that Jarlaxle <laughs> has had over the years? Oh, my God. And crowdsourced it and basically had a list uh, that his fans put together that he then used as his character sheet. Uh- I'm not going to lie. The fans know a lot more than I do at this point. Uh, some guy, you know, apropos nothing, two days or yesterday put up this website that has every single technology piece <laughs> as long as explaining what it is in all the books. There's like 700. Oh, my and God. What? I know. And, and he did all that. And I'm like, thank God. I forgot there was that kind of technology. But he has it all according to, like, types of armor. And there's nine different types of armor. And I'm like, amazing. I forgot I, forgot I had half of those things. But now I have a resource. And it's like. Thank God for that, man. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, the aggregation of these Wikipedia things, these wikis going on is so helpful. It's really neat. It reminds me of like... I was a, could use that in the 90s. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was a Star yeah. Trek fan back in the day, and mm-hmm. I remember pouring over those books. I don't know if they were even written by show creators or anything like that, but they were like the complete guide to the Enterprise. And they sure. had like all the sure. schematics of the Enterprise in different areas and yeah. all that. And I remember being like, wow, this is so interesting that someone actually took the time to you know, treat this ship as if it was a real, like, naval ship yes. and talked about yes. all the technologies, What even though it was all made up technology. And they have all the, measure, all the measurements down, yeah. all the blueprints down, and you get to, my favorites are the cutaways. Yes. Those cutaway books where you can just see the insides of things. Those, they're Star Wars books based on that with technology characters. My favorite ones were the ships. Me too. Because uh, it was the same thing, because they tell you, you know, 54,000 people is a compliment for an Imperial Class 1 Star Destroyer, you know? Then you get to learn about Victory Class, Victory 2 Class, Eclipse Class. Cool. Yeah, you right? <laughs> right? So That's the stuff. Like, I love that stuff. Right. Because and those- it makes you feel real. And then when they battle, you're like, ooh. Mm, that's pretty tough. That's tough taking on, you know, a Klingon, a Klingon ship, a bird of prey. Yeah, a bird of prey. Bird of For the Klingon, yeah, the ones from like yeah, Star yeah. Trek Three. Yeah, that was a bird of prey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you could, but you know how how dangerous a bird of prey is then because you've studied that. Yeah, you know how many like Klingon Marines they got on board. And then it can bite you in the butt later on when they're like, by the way, there was no way that a bird of prey would be able to be beat a victory class starship because of these specifications. And yeah. 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 I, I've gotten, I've kind of gotten hoisted on my own petard that way. Like I, 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 I definitely sometimes, you know, have something outmatched and I got to keep track and have a reason that it gets destroyed. Right. You know, like oh, that would never destroy a torch ship, you know, two That's, fighters. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of incompetence are these? You know? <laughs> the same type that have like, you know, a nine kilometer long starship and make their bridge, you know, on top of it and put plexiglass in front of it. You know, <laughs> the same kinds of people. Yeah. Although I do love when that A-wing takes out the executor and no. That is one of my favorite scenes, too, where it's like spiraling in oh, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, all right. So, lessons learned from this conversation is all authors should have character sheets for, for each sure. one of their characters. 
Just saying, man, helps hey, keep you do honest. Do you ever use dice to determine the outcome of something in a book? <laughs> no, but I should. No. That's genius. I have pulled out of a hat. So uh, there's this one point I was killing a character, in the a main character in the uh, first book, and I put all the names uh, into the hat, including no like all the fan favorites. Well, I didn't have any readers at that point. I was yeah, like, but you, know, you didn't. It was a main character, and you didn't know which one was gonna. Uh, it was a main character. Everyone except for the main character, right? Um, which is a POV character, which would have made it, you know, insidiously awkward. Yeah, it would have been <laughs> to hard to finish the rest of the book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so I put in everyone, and then drew out a character, and ended up being a favorite. And I kind of like looked around. And I was like, I don't have to. Uh, you know, it's two a.m. And so I put his name back in the hat, and then I was like, oh, well, no one's going to read it anyway. It's kind of interesting. So I killed this character off. I pulled him out of a hat, and I still wear the hat around. And my my readers now call it the hat of death, <laughs> and, <laughs> and are terrified that I'm going to do it for other. Uh, yeah, other. Uh, God, it's like uh, the Hunger uh, Games. Yeah, I, I volunteered for tribute though. So you so. really don't do any? Uh, there's no out. Like, you, do you not know the story before you start writing it? Like, right down to like uh, someone somebody might die. General beats, general beats, but it's usually an act of exploration for me. I kind of know what I want to play with. Like, uh, each book has a particular theme in, in mind. You know, fear, uh, friendship, trust, uh, that kind of thing. Um, so I know. The, the broad strokes and I, kind of, and I know the endings but how I get there is very different and often those endings will change based on it not feeling correct for the characters like my big problem with books is when I feel like a book or a story is being dictated by the author and by the plot devices and things instead of by the characters so what I my, my books are all told in POV first person perspective and so what I try to do is have my characters decide the plot um and so a lot of that is the characters not being conveniently put into uh, or going the direction I want them to. You know what I mean? Like I'll write an outline, but the outline always seems kind of bullshit when I get when it gets down to yeah. it because they'll be like, "Oh, I'm having them do that," but would they really? You know, I kind of like after what's like gone through the trauma they've been through, I doubt they'd really do that. Mm. And so a lot of it is getting to those points, abandoning the outline, and being like, "What would they do?" And so it's getting to those kind of crisis points, those points where there's forks in the road. Yeah, uh, and for me, every couple chapters is like that, and then, you know, fo- following one I didn't expect because that's what makes interesting storytelling. It's so. very much like being a dungeon master, too. Like right? you don't, you can't keep it on rails because your players no. are always going to go left when you've written everything yep. for the right. But you just got to, you just got to trust yourself. You know, yeah. you've done this before. You know, you kind know. of, kind of the end, like what the end of the adventure might be, but you don't know how, how they're going to yeah. get there. But unlike a dungeon master, I get to do a lot of different drafts, and then my, my so my first draft is usually kind of just getting it out. You know, it usually takes me a long time. It's the hardest one. My second draft is usually my favorite draft because that's where I'm really figuring out the story. It's where there's that kind of you know when you read a good book, there's that circular logic that comes in. You know, yeah. the Chekhov's gun. You see a gun in the first act. It's used in the third act. But you're doing that with a thousand different things in a book. Where in a movie, you're only doing it with you know maybe about ten things. But the book, you're doing it constantly, information, themes, characters, et cetera. And so I love doing, putting that in the second and third drafts. And then the third draft is, you know, actually making the writing not suck. So the second, second drafts are so fun, though, because it's like, aha, aha, and it's constant yeah. epiphanies. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. Well, I can't wait to see you pull another character out of the hat of death. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, when we meet next time and I'm wearing a hat, just might be the one. Yeah, oh, right? Do it live. I think that's the way to do it. Now you can live stream oh, that yeah. type of thing. It might have the holy bee grenade of Antioch. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. Well, it's been really uh, uh, great talking to you, Pierce. I love yeah. uh, hearing your your about your creative process and 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 uh, all the characters that you're going to be you know playing in the future. Uh, how can people well, thanks, Greg. get in touch with um, not necessarily in touch with you, but like follow what you're doing and maybe yeah, uh, yeah. you know get in get into some of your books. So piercebrown.com has all the information for my books, and you can purchase the books there or you know, Amazon or myriad different sites. You can also find me at Pierce underscore Brown on Twitter and Pierce Brown official on hey. Instagram. Yeah. Got to keep it real. Yeah, <laughs> and on, then on Facebook, on I'm never on Facebook, you know? So yeah, um, we should there's, too, there's too many, too many of my aunts are posting on Facebook, you know? And it's just like <laughs> so much for like the old people. No, it's for, and then like kid, like people who have kids to post pictures of their kids. And I'm like, yeah. I like your kid, but not as much as you think I do. You know? <laughs> I'd like him a lot less, or more if I saw him a lot less. I saw him a lot less. <laughs> it's very Frodo ba- uh, Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, right. I don't like him half enough as he deserves, and I like him half as well. <laughs> and then yeah. your so Proud your latest feet. book, Dark Age, is that Proud out feet, now or yeah. coming out? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so my uh, Dark Age came out in July. Okay, so that is the fifth book in the series. Uh, you can start with Red Rising. Uh, second one is Golden Sun. Morning Star, Iron Gold, then Dark Age. And then Dark so Age. don't read them out of order because you'll be perilously confused. What's the sixth book going to be called? Mm, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Beehive. It, are you? Bee Grenade. Bee Grenade. <laughs> bee Grenade. Golden yeah. Bee Grenade. Where? It'll be called Not the Bees. <laughs> Where are you in the process of writing that one? Are you done? Uh, so in the, uh, no, right now I'm taking some time off between because uh, Dark Age kind of wore me thin. So I'm reading a bunch of stuff, reading oh, cool. everything I get my Filling hands the on. tank, so to speak. Filling the tank, reading everything. I'm going to probably do uh, another Baldur's Gate run pretty soon. Nice. Um, you know, I got to kill. I'm going to see if I can get Sarajevok on my side earlier on in, uh, in Baldur's Gate 1. And I want to try to import him into Baldur's Gate 2. Oh, that's the so way to do it. See if I can do that. Yeah. They just released those on console now too. You can play on Xbox or, or play as. Uh, I heard, but man, the way the way I manage my party and the time stop I do, it's too difficult with the toggles. And yeah, I don't like shifting with the. I, I like the kind of overhead RTS feel. I do too, but, but I uh, I've yeah. heard good things about playing on the Switch, which I was like, really? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, because it's yeah, got yeah, a touchscreen type thing to it, so you might be able to oh, do cool. uh, some fun I stuff. Saw, I played this thing on VR not too long ago. It was kind of a bad game. It was like uh, like a strategy game where you're building a civilization and like a dinosaur utopia or whatever yeah. i don't know but the thing is you're kind of over top and you have hands and you can move around your villagers and stuff and i think that would be a great boulders gate if you could do vr boulders gate and move your characters oh. around It'd be pretty cool i don't know if it would work out um, all right well play- we'll We'll start, but anyway, we'll start pitching yeah. that to all yeah. the all the VR <laughs> devs out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Written by Pierce Brown. I like it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> It'll be a very odd adventure. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you again so much for for calling in, and uh, uh, I can't wait to hear about your uh, your beekeeper character. I know. I want to hear oh, more great. about this campaign. <laughs> Greg Shelley, nice meeting you guys. Yeah, we'll you talk too. Soon, hopefully. Awesome. Right, take care. Thanks, Pierce. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you. That was so good. I really enjoyed talking to him. I'm really glad he brought his dog. The dog was, uh, I think, the star of the the entire interview. We might have to have the dog on for her own episode. Yeah, we'll get EO to uh, be a guest. Yes. Uh, As long as we can have a bark translator, uh, I think we'll be good to go. Yeah, that would be good. All right, perfect. Okay, super Uh, fun. I'm going to go read those books um, because talking about them just made me want to jump into that world. Yes. I'm going to go order them. I've been reading them aloud to you. Is that all right? Yes. (laughs) I'll just stop by your desk and be like, gifts. page one. Just randomly. I want you to just do it randomly. Yeah, like I'll pop okay. up and be like, uh, yeah, and then all o- of over the like, divider. Page 23. <laughs> Jump oh. to five. Huh? Love it. 
right where we left off. Could you? I will. Oh, you know what? Commute. Audiobooks. I keep re- I listen to a lot of podcasts now, but audiobooks. I know. I can't. But audiobooks are harder for me. I don't know why. Cause I you, think because you zone. Because I well, I listen to podcasts too, and I for some there's something about the immediacy of people talking to each other or or talking about a subject. For some reason, with an audiobook, I feel like I'm missing something, and then I have to go back. Yes. And then that I do stresses tend to, me out to zone out a little. Yeah. And I would feel. Like I was missing part of a book. Yeah. yeah, I've done it before when I've needed to, uh, you know, cram for something. But other than that, I don't, I don't, I don't okay. dig it as much. Well, but you know what is cool? I, it's it's podcast and audiobook in one thing. Lavar Burton reads. <gasps> he has a podcast where he reads oh short my. fiction. Well, of course. And it's 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 you know pretty well produced. There's like some sound effects and like a, a vocal effect really? sometimes when he's like reading dialogue. Yeah, it's it's actually really good. I feel like we could have like a Chris Perkins reads. Ooh, yeah. Or like a Shelly Matson no. reads. You gotta have like a good soothing voice. <laughs> you have a very soothing voice. Hello. Oh, Welcome to Shelly Reads. Dragon Talk ASMR version. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to eat Here this. Here are the headlines from E! News. Carrot. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to stop that before anyone uh, stops listening to this podcast. Too late. Too late. It's done. Um, how can people get in touch with mm. you about all the fun things that you're doing, Shelley? How about on Twitter at Shelley Moo or come to my writer page on Facebook? Come to my window. <laughs> Wait, no, don't do that. <laughs> Are you in there? Hello. Is Melissa Etheridge there? <laughs> I can be reached at the Twitters. Uh, I'm at Greg Tito. On Instagram, I'm Greg underscore Tito. But... Greg you don't underwear. have to care about us. If you want to get into all of the things that are D&D related, go to DungeonsAndDragons.com. Yes. Or, more importantly, download Dragon Plus to your phone. New issue! There's a new issue coming right out now. this week, right now, probably today on Halloween. You'll be able to and download this new issue. there's an article in there about Rick and Morty and D&D. Sweet! That's awesome. There's so much stuff about uh, uh, things that are being previewed, as well as really creative people in the space. Free maps, free downloads of tons Come of on. D&D material. It's free. The whole app is free. Matt Chapman has been knocking it out of the park. He's very good. Uh, and we're on issue like 28, I think, which is, I mean, that's a lot of issues that have come out. A lot out. of amazing covers. Yeah. I just love the covers. They are really good. So good. Uh, so download that if you can. If you don't want anything new on your phone, you can access that content the Cantant on Dragon Mag Dan Cam. <laughs> it's a wicked good website, and uh, you should go there to get all the D&D Cantant that you could possibly get. Uh, all right, I'm done doing my pitches, uh, so we are going to have to uh, see if those... Uh, what's, what's up there? Is there something fine? You... Just a couple of boulders. Oh! <laughs> 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 Are you okay? Everyone's dead. <laughs> <laughs>